All right, so I, I guess I'll. Uh... I don't have to work tomorrow, so I will. I don't either. Can... I just teach seniors. Yeah, I taught seniors. They don't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> if you tell them to put their heads down and take a nap, they're like, "Thank you." <laughs> I'm gonna wait for Steve to finish. I'm not doing anything. No. Seriously? Come I, on, Steve. I'm Apparently not pointing zipping. fingers. I'm just saying I'm not doing Here's anything. Here's zippers and ice cubes and Steve, where are you keeping somebody these ice cracker cubes? jacks. I'm not sure what's going on, but Well, I gotta get to the prize. <laughs> Still on Kevin's lap. Stop saying that. <laughs> Here's the surprise, Patrick. It's it's a temporary tattoo that is extremely outdated. Welcome to Buried Cinema to our seventh anniversary podcast. Seven years we've been doing this. Some of us, all seven years. A couple of us have uh, joined part of the way through. Uh, but this is our podcast a where. Pansies took a break. Yeah. Well, seven years, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. We, uh, no. So we discuss new and lesser known films in details with spoilers. Uh, and we decided for our seventh anniversary, something we haven't done, surprisingly so, is talked about all our favorite movies. I'm Kevin. <laughs> I'm Brian. I tried, sorry. I'm Steve. Seven years we haven't gotten this. One. I know, that's true. <laughs> that one. You would think after seven years we would finally nail that. Well, you know, in the beginning it was just three of us, so it was a little... It was a little bit easier. It was. They were also in the same room. Yeah. Yes, they were in the same room that had a lot of trouble. Help give visual too. cues, it helps. Yeah. Um, so... For wow. our seventh, like I said, uh, we've, we've all picked, uh, our favorite movies and, uh, we're gonna break this into two podcasts. For the first half, we're just two dis- recording sessions. But not two podcasts. You don't get that, <laughs> fans. You're gonna listen an hour and a half straight through. Hope so, you got a long car ride. <laughs> we will eventually talk about, uh, in the, wait, now I'm lost. Two podcasts or two halves? What did we decide? <laughs> All right. Two recording sessions, really, one I'm podcast. I'm really glad okay. we spent the time in rehearsal to get this right. I know. Well, <laughs> there was a say, rehearsal? We'll get it in post. So, <laughs> thanks. No, no, we won't. We won't get in post. Yeah, I always have to get in post. Just keep going. <laughs> That's and, what she said. And, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> all right. and that rounds it out. Yeah. I think we've hit all our seven-year memes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, I think there's, there's still a couple to come. Uh, yeah, we're still waiting for the Tuesday podcast. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> like buried cinema meme bingo. We're going to start off talking about The Great Escape, which was my favorite, uh, followed by Shawshank Redemption, which was... Which is my favorite. Brian's favorite, and rounded out uh, these three with Tom's favorite, City Lights. Um, I don't remember the correlation or why. Well, the two prison movies together. Okay. And then... And then uh, Tom? Watching a silent movie is like being a like, so. <laughs> Okay. Oh, shit. We'll go and then we're going to... Yeah. wouldn't work with the other three. That's... It really <laughs> wouldn't work yeah, with yeah. the other one. Then yeah. uh, we go into History of Violence and Fight Club and Chinatown. Yeah, mm-hmm. so prison rape is like the lesser... Of the Actually, there's a there's a famous yeah. there's a famous boxing scene in City Lights. We should have done it with Fight Club. So, uh, 
We're going to start off with The Great Escape, which was my favorite, and I was extremely apprehensive because we tend to be very honest and just, you know, hey, this movie was great, or hey, this movie sucked, and this is why. We tend to not respect classic status. Right. I think we've proven that time and time again. So Take uh, that, American. After seven years, I'm still on this podcast, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, The Great Escape uh, is a 1963 film uh, that talks about uh, World War II prison camps, uh, the Nazi camps. Um, Directed by John Sturgis. Steve McQueen, um, James Garner, yeah. Attenborough, uh, Charles Donald Bronson. Yeah. yeah, Charles Bronson. James Coburn. James Coburn. Donald Pleasant. And other British oh, yeah. 60s yeah. actors. Uh, I have been watching this film. I don't know how I got hooked on it. This became my holiday annual movie. Every hmm. Christmas, I, I watch this movie. It started in, I think it was just like a, a TBS thing. They would always throw on the TV and it was, it's something that I could fall asleep to. And I don't mean that as a knock against the film, but I knew the film so well that I'd lay on the couch, I'd watch it. And if I fell asleep, I'd wake up 20 minutes later or 45 minutes later. And okay, I know exactly what I missed and just kind of pick it up. And it was a great thing to watch. Kind of like Christmas it's story. Your, your comfort film. You know how Either I that or it's some it. weird psychological thing where it's like you're at Thanksgiving and you need to get away. And you were I'm drawn gonna, to the I'm great escape. Digging, tunnel under the table, you know, grab some <laughs> yeah. spoons as I'm going down. Yeah, no, this, so you, you know how I feel about it. I'm curious to see how you guys feel about this. Uh, and I'm going to start with Brian. Okay. It's actually the first time I watched it from beginning to end. And I think it's actually the first time I've seen all of it. I know I've seen parts of it. And I know I've seen, I don't want to call it a spoof, uh, oh, uh, but Chicken Run. Chicken Run, yeah. Yeah. Is, is take like. some pieces from it. Oh, yeah. It's an homage yeah. to it. Yeah. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I've seen homages. I've seen parts of it, but I've never seen the whole thing. Um, and I'm actually really glad I did, finally. I'm more disappointed in myself than anything at this point. Um, it, it was really good. I mean, the, the, the Germans speaking English probably made sense. I would imagine they would have to. I, I liked that the Nazis weren't all just you know, mustache twirling villains. Yeah. They, that too. The commander of the camp was actually a decent man. Yeah. 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 He, he understood the civility of war and yeah. there were certain lines you didn't cross. Yeah. Right. When they first started off, even the civility of, you know, you understand that we, we will try to escape. That's what we do. And right. Like, yeah. That civility, like you said. Yeah. yeah. So Brian, Hey, yeah. To answer your question. Hey, okay. Excellent. Nate, what say you? Um. Yeah. This is an A. This is the age that, Early 60s, late 50s. Um, I know this is John Sturgis and not David Lean, but this is the age of the big World War II epics. Um, and, and, and you guys did mention, you know, there, there's a lot of civility in this. I also like that not all of the characters get away. Steve Most McQueen is so incorrigible. So, you know, he's... Incorrigible or incorrigible? Incorrigible. Both. Yeah. Okay. And they're just... They're, they're, they're fascinating. And, and there is still, even in three hours, it's impressive how they managed to keep the the tension going yeah when the men are slowly pulling themselves underneath that in that tiny little claustrophobic space and you're like come on go 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 mm -hmm. but i like that slow pace from from these films like from sturgis from david lean um you know they're fantastic yeah, you're so forced yeah i'm, to have I'm patience. yeah patrick i'll give it an a yeah no i really enjoyed this movie um yeah, I mean, it was three hours. I never felt like it was... Right. I mean, I was hooked to it the whole time. Now, had time. you seen this before? Or no? no, I'd never... Okay. I'd never even heard of it until you... Really? Said, Nate, yeah. I didn't catch. Did, have you seen this? Oh, yeah. I've seen it several okay. times. All right. Yeah, yeah, I own it. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, no, it was, I mean, I mean, it was, they started off obviously with a great story. I mean, I love the fact that it's, it's a true story and, you know, I mean, right. based on true story, obviously they were composites of the people, but, you know, right, right. just the fact that, you know, that actually did happen. They dug the tunnel out and yeah, I mean, in real life, it was only three people that got away. Yeah. You know, and yeah, no, it was, it, it was an excellent movie. Steve? Yeah. I, when you said this, you've been talking about it for a long time. Um, so I thought this was a completely different movie. I thought this was an escape from, prison like alcatraz oh it's kind of thing. uh clint eastwood uh yeah i thought it was something oh, yeah. you know that kind of thing so i thought i had seen parts of it but i have not seen this at all mm-hmm. and i yeah i really enjoyed it i was surprised one it's world war ii movie and i'm a dad so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right there it's got but uh it's one of those dirty dozen kind of things where you just kind of mm-hmm. get to like all the characters you know and so once they start getting picked off or getting that scene, You're oh invested my god! In them. That scene where they pull up and they're like, "Okay, you need to get out." Yeah, and they're setting up the machine gun, and the slow realization of what's going to happen next. Yeah, it, that that scene's gut wrenching. Yeah, that's that was rough. It's, I mean, we we notice it more now, but this was one of those cases where main characters don't make it through yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, You're right. So even though it, like you guys said, it's there's a civility to it in the camp. There's also brutality. They don't right. shy away from that brutality. Yeah, those murders. Yeah, you know they they were directed by Hitler to send the message. Look, you you can't escape. Yeah, if you escape, there's a good chance you'll be killed. So yeah, I give it a one. Tom. Yeah, I had seen this once before, um, and I had I'd kind of been lukewarm on it, and I don't know I'm, if I was just in the wrong frame of mind the first time I watched it. I must have been. This time watching it, I was completely engaged the entire running time uh even when it ended i was just like i really want to spend more time with these characters you know like i immediately wanted to watch it again which is rare um especially for such a long film um yeah i i thought it was extremely well written well acted i I liked all the characters um like steve was saying even though i i don't like the characters in dirty dozen so i don't really understand that correlation but i thought this was a really great film i think if i'm nitpicking at all uh, just the fact that it says that everything about the escape happens exactly as it happened, which isn't true. You know, like I, I don't mind creative liberty in historical films, but that's kind of like a little too misleading. But e- even then, it's just it's such a great film. So, yeah, I'm going to give it an A. For the first time, actually, I watched the extended footage, the additional stuff and, and everything. Uh, and it was really, really interesting to hear the directors and, and uh, the people involved with the, the film. They wanted to try and make it as real, as true to life as possible. Um, there were composites mm-hmm. of characters, Patrick, like you said, you know, they just. Well, the other thing is that, uh, American soldiers actually played or, or pilots or whatever played very little role right. in the yeah, actual there thing, you know, too they many Americans. Um, but there were 50 people that were killed after they were captured. Yeah. Um, that mm-hmm. was true. Uh, the three tunnels, you know, a, a lot of the key points and, and they also showed you the lengths they went to. They took one of the, um, the actual prisoners from the camp and use them as their um, consultant for the okay. film. And I remember right. seeing at, at one point, you know, they had done the set mock-up for the tunnel and he climbed into the tunnel and he was crawling around. He's like, no, there's too much room. You have to make it tighter. And so they made the tunnel well, even smaller. And yeah, it's just, based on a book written by a man who was actually in the camp. Right. But mm-hmm. they brought him on set and right. used him. And, and just to hear that, I'm going, holy cow, this is... Not not for the film, but just for the experience that they went through. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's unimaginable in some cases. So so I'm going to give this a C. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I figured. Yeah, uh, no, this this is my favorite, so I'm giving it an A as well. So uh, six yep. A's gives it an A. Yeah, yeah, I think that's maybe my second gold star. Yeah. But I would imagine, you know, most of us or all of us are going to get gold stars tonight anyway. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But, uh, <laughs> so. You got but, Tom all worried. So, uh, so we're going to put the great escape on our flick chart now. Flick chart is a website that we use on our podcast. It gives you two movies at random. You pick which one you like better and over time builds your rankings for you automatically. Or you can add a movie to your chart like we are about to do. We have currently 545 movies on our chart. These are all movies we've done on the podcast over the past seven years. So we'll be adding these six movies tonight. So adding The Great Escape, the first movie it comes up against is The Final Cut, starring Robin Williams. Great Escape. Great Escape. Great Escape. I think that's a good yes. uh, Oh, yeah, that's good. Litmus. Yeah. Unanimous. The Great Escape versus Hell or High Water. Great Escape. That's another dad. Great Escape. Movie. Yeah, I it is. I love Howard Highwater. I really did. Um, I'm, I'm going Great Escape. Great Escape. How do we go Great Escape with okay. reservation? I need to watch Howard Highwater again. I do want to watch that again. Yeah, I've only seen it yeah. once. So. I'm going to go Howard Highwater for the moral vote. Or twice. All right. Do you have Kevin, any? just to let you know, when I re-ranked The Great Escape on my chart, it went from the 800s to 40-something. Uh, wow. I think, And, and it, the only reason it stopped is because it came up against... John Sturgis's other film, The Magnificent Seven, which I've seen many times. So, I went Great Escape. Kevin went Great Escape. Steve went Great Escape. Patrick went, Patrick Hell, went Hell or High Water. I believe he's the only one. Great Escape wins. Great Escape versus Memories of Murder. Great Escape. Great Escape. This yeah, is the obvious, but these are all really Definitely hard ones to judge against. Yeah. Well, we're up in yeah. that. Yeah, we're up at the. I we don't that. get in this part of our podcast very often because yeah. our litmus test was so terrible for <laughs> so long. All right, but it's going to be like this for the whole night. So yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm going Great Escape. I mean, yeah, I'm going to go Great Escape as well, actually. You should be yeah. picking Great Escape for everything because it's your favorite movie. It's my favorite so. movie, but it doesn't mean it's the best. And I'm man enough to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be voting City Lights against anything on our list. So, <laughs> oh, that's um, Is that so? That's unanimous, Great Escape? Yep. Right. Great Escape versus Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. The good the one. The good one. Kiss, kiss, bang, just bang. based, based on where we are in the podcast or on the yeah. flick chart. <laughs> right. Good one. Yeah. I'm going great. I'm escape. going great escape. Yeah, I'll go great escape. Yeah. I'm not. This is where no. favorite comes into play. I think great escape may be a slightly better movie, maybe, but I just like kiss, kiss, bang, bang so much. And I'd watch it any day. Yeah. I'm not I sure I'd too. watch the great escape any day. Just I would. I, I at this point now I would. Watch the escape. That's Easy. hard. You got to ask yourself though. For your favorite, you've probably already seen it a ton of times. So a lot of these others. Oh, would you watch this one? I'd rather watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang again because I I know Great Escape. Yeah. yeah. I've only seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang once. I catch a lot for both of them, which is a sign of a really good movie. Every time I rewatch it, yeah. you catch yeah. this this other this small little thing that the filmmakers cared about, and you're like, that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. both of these films have that, which is what's one of the reasons I own Great Escape. It's it's so yeah. fascinating. And Until Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. We talked about yeah. it tonight, and, and it, I looked at it. I never realized Great Escape was three hours long. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I was kind of pissed at you when I saw that. <laughs> and then, then I watched it, and I'm like, right. oh, it doesn't feel like three Yeah, that's, it never I'm felt like, like three, three hours. hours. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's a perfect nap movie. You could get <laughs> an hour and a half nap in there and still <laughs> see a good part like, of hey, the movie. Yeah. So I'm not sure where we are here. Are we three and three? I think we are. So it looks like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang stops The Great Escape. 
That puts the Great Escape at number 34 on our flick chart. Ooh. It is two spots above Papillon, oh. another Steve McQueen oh, prison yeah. movie. Yeah. And it is just a few spots behind The Way Back. Another yeah. prison escape movie, yeah. We apparently... Are there bad prison escape? Oh, yes, there are. Yes. From a escape bunch of bad prison escape plan. I was just... I <laughs> spoke too soon. <laughs> We've watched them. <laughs> okay, so... Here's I'm... a would you rather. Would you rather be in a Luftwaffe... POW camp, or would you rather be in a gulag in Siberia? Or um, would you rather be stuck in the middle of the ocean in a giant toilet with with Stallone (laughs) and Schwarzenegger? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm going to Nazi Germany. This is awful. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought I'd say that. I'd rather go to Nazi Germany. Oh, absolutely. I hate being cold, okay. so that's an easy one there. But the, the <laughs> toilet in the ocean, yeah, yeah, no. And listening to Sloane talk all day, <laughs> that drives me nuts. All right, so right Nazi Germany wins, <laughs> and right. we are going to uh, move on to uh, Brian's favorite film, The Shawshank Redemption, which I almost I didn't. I don't know if, if if Nazi Germany wins is something six white guys should be saying <laughs> right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's talk about my indie movie. <laughs> Little known film. Stars that that guy. Bob Gunton. William Sadler, I think. Screw you, William Sadler. Oh, right, right. Big James movie. Whitmore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Clancy Brown. Yeah, so talk about my movie, The Shawshank Redemption, which I almost didn't pick. Why? Because, well, I wasn't there when people were making their picks. Steve just sent me a text that said, What's your favorite movie that we haven't done on the podcast? Yeah. Oh, really? You didn't put it in context? No. Steve. Zero context. (laughs) No. So you almost got Kung Pao Enter the Fist. (laughs) (laughs) Like two very different quality of movies. (laughs) No, no, I think they're pretty close. I'm I'm pretty sure Kung Pao Enter the Fist is in the top 10 films on IMDb as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's... it's, it's, Between the first two Godfather movies. Right. You should mention this, that it's what it, Shawshank Redemption is the number one film on IMDb. Yes. Uh, Directed by Frank Darabont. Stephen King wrote the short story. Frank Darabont wrote the screenplay starring Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman. Um, 94 lost to Forrest Gump for Best Picture. Actually, and and so did Pulp Fiction. That was a very good year for Best Picture. (laughs) Um... The story of Andy Dufresne and Ellis Boyd Red Redding, um, who are bonding in prison in not the way that you'd expect for several years, and then they eventually uh, make it out in varying different fashions. Let's start with Hattrick. How many times it. have you seen this? Oh, I've seen it a million times, yeah. Like, I didn't even rewatch it for this one, just I didn't have a chance, but... um. Yeah, honestly, if you hadn't, I, I was, I was sitting there trying to figure out, like, look up which movies I was, and Shawshank was right up there, and then Steve was like, oh, Brian just picked Shawshank. And I'm like, son of a bitch. So, um, I mean, it was almost one that I picked. Um, well, if Brian, you picked you the first, entered... then we would have gotten Kung Pao into the first. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you should have been fast. Damn it. If only I was fast. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's an easy A. I mean, this is a fantastic movie. The acting. Even just the concept of, I mean, it's it's a positive, uplifting prison movie. Like, I mean, I feel good at the end of the movie. Like, I, you yeah. feel mm-hmm. like it's, 
And yet there was With so suicide and prison rape and right, but like I, corruption. And you're like, this is a feel good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what's so yeah. weird. It showed yeah. like the way him and Red became almost like brothers. I mean, yeah. the, the love that they had for each other that developed that, you know, just friendship, not, you know, mm-hmm. anything that it was, I mean, it was beautiful. You know, it was just to, to yeah. realize that people could care for each other that much and just have that. Yeah. One of the parts that always gets to me. Each other. I mean, mm-hmm. One of the parts that always gets me is uh, when Red thinks that um, Andy's going to commit suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, you know, I've, I've had some long nights. Uh, that was the longest night of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it romanticizes prison. I like what you said, Patrick. It's about even within this prison. One of the things that does, it still shows you the, the horror, the terrible things. It addresses that moment when James Whitmore's Brooks does commit suicide, right? Because yeah. he can't. It addresses something that yeah. not a lot of prison movies do now. That that idea that it is the system that they like they physically can't get out of when they come out. Yeah, you know, institutionalized. Yeah. That they're institutionalized. It explains a lot of recidivism. You know, and Brooks is just just this old man who's you kind of. I do remember watching it as a kid. It was one of the first times where it's horrifying to see him commit suicide, but you fully understand why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's. It's it's there and that that's also part of that Stephen King part of that's the source material. This is one of the the story itself is is a masterpiece and will probably be studied. It's fantastic, but um, there's I actually a think this is an improvement on the short story. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It's just more a lot more there. This is the case oh, where yeah. the movie is better than the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a short. It's novella. it's a short little novella. Short. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think Stephen King said this was his favorite adaptation, though, of any of any of his stuff. Yeah. That he thought this was the best because it's the only one that's good. <laughs> no. I saw. No, I saw this good. article. That is not true. Like Besides earlier this else? earlier this month, I saw an article Misery. because um, the Dark Tower came out, and oh. somebody decided to rank the top fifteen Stephen King movies, yeah. and this came in at number four. That's ridiculous. What? What was above it? What? Yeah. What the was... Dead Zone, Carrie, no. and The Shining. Okay, The Shining. The Shining, maybe. That's it. But that was like... Not as an adaptation, no. Actual book. Like, not right. as an adaptation. Stephen King, in fact, yeah. hates it as an adaptation. Oh, right. yeah, Whatever he's wrong. Movie, but it's, it's a, a great movie. Adaptation. Yeah. It's a great movie. It's a terrible adaptation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The um, Green Mile. Stand By Me. Why is oh, it really God, good? Yeah, right, that was probably one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know there's debate about um, the mist, but I, I love the mist. I, I like the mist. That. I don't yeah, think Carrie's it's a great very movie. good. Well, the Green Mile's got to be on there. Christine's oh, got to be on there. Green Mile, yeah, Christine, Cujo Christine. probably oh, is. You seen or Christine? Cujo. I'd actually throw fourteen oh eight in there. Was, I think it's really good. Yeah, top yeah, fifteen was Children of the Corn, Christine, The Green Mile, Apt Pupil. The Mist, yeah. Dolores Claiborne at number Dolores 10. Claiborne, oh, yeah. Sucks. The, the Running Man. What? Yeah. He the did Running The Running Man? man? He, he wrote the short 1408. story. 1408. Really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Wow. As Richard Bachman. Yeah. Stand yeah. By Me, Creep Show. Creep Show, yeah. yeah. And Misery is number five. Uh, why is Firestarter not on there? <laughs> Steve, yes. let you go next. Um, so I'll approach it this way. You know, I've seen this movie a million times, but my oldest daughter, Emma, who's now 17, so she's old enough, a little bit more prison complex rape. prison rapes. Uh, 
I, I'm like, I'm like, okay, so we've been working our way through a catalog. Yeah, <laughs> we're not. Uh, what do you start with? How today? do you introduce them to that? Shawshank. Start with yeah, this exactly. yeah. That's yeah. what you start with. It's the perfect one. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, okay, we're sitting down. We're gonna watch this, right? And it started up, and she's like, oh, you're gonna watch a, this. This is a dad movie, right? Because it does have that dad movie oh, yeah, feel totally. to it, uh, and all that. And she's and she's getting more and more into it, and she's getting really invested. And the scene where uh, the greaser guy comes out and he says, I swear, I'll, I, this is absolutely, I'll swear to it. And he gets shot. Right. She started sobbing, oh. just mm. broke down yeah. crying. Yeah. And it made me remember how powerful that scene is. Yeah. I've seen it so many times. I knew it was coming and just kind of like, yeah, this, you know, he's a dick. But right. she just started actually crying. And I was like, yeah, this is a great movie. Definitely in my top five movie. Um, yeah. So I, uh, and that it, one of the, this is why you should have kids, because that way they remind you how good movies are when you can watch it with them for the first time. Exactly why I have yes. kids. <laughs> so you just got to wait. The you just got to wait 17 uh, years. Well, Fun was, fact, this was the first time Roger Deakins was ever nominated for an Oscar uh, for cinematography. He's never won. Which is crazy. Yeah. Besides City Lights. No, she watched Chinatown, uh, which got super awkward. But we'll talk about that <laughs> next time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Why do you like this, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's the uh, question that Nate's going to have to answer in a couple of years. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we sit down to watch a history of violence. Uh, well, you're over. five. I think you're old enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this uh, this is by far. This is what I was thinking about. This is by far the best role I've seen Tim Robbins. See, I don't actually think he's that great of an actor. Um, but in this, he's, he's just, he is Andy Dufresne. So mm -hmm. He will always be Andy Dufresne. And I don't see him as anything. But every, everybody in this movie just feels so much like their yeah. character. I was gonna say, everybody is their own yeah. character. Yeah. They feel, they, even just uh, the blonde guy. Um, the stutterer? Yeah. 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 They never talk William, about William Sadler. Yeah. They yeah. never talk about the stutter. He's a good it's guy. never once yeah, mentioned. Right. It's just a slight tick that makes him a human being. Tom. Yeah, I think this was maybe the third time I've sat down, watched it beginning to end. I've seen it a hundred times on TV. Anytime it's on TV, I end up watching it till the end. In fact, I, I missed I missed the uh, good part of the Super Bowl between the Giants and the Patriots in 2007 because I had switched over to this movie. <laughs> and then I heard and then I heard later what a mistake I had made. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. That's but, just uh, um, Yeah, this has long been one of my favorite films. Uh, this is in my top 10 on my flip chart. Yeah, every time I watch it, it's just like the narrative is so as close to perfect as it can get because the characters are so rich. Every, like Steve was saying, every character, every supporting character in this movie is just so rich. Brooks and just, you know, Red's whole crew. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know what else to say about this movie that hasn't been said it's my second favorite movie that we've we're doing this month yeah so i'm, I'm giving this i'm giving this an a nate yeah this is a masterpiece i've got nothing nitpick I, this is one of the first movies i ever watched is like a honestly i was probably way too young to continuously rewatch this movie i think it really disturbed my parents but um, <laughs> my poor mother would always walk in on the scene where um the guy is talking the guy who actually killed andy dufresne's wife is talking. Yeah. And I, I don't oh, know yeah. who that actor is, but that he scene is, is creepy. Yeah. And that scene is terrifying and it's vile. And she'd always walk 
walk in and be like, what are you watching? Like, it's a really good movie, Mom. And she'd be like, no, it's not. Go away. Shut the door. Um, this is one of the first movies I ever, <laughs> yeah, I ever, like, I ever, like, bought. I remember. Nate, I, I actually think the first time I ever watched this movie was at your house. Oh, did we watch this? Yeah. It, I, I, I would make you guys sit down and yeah. watch this. Yeah. So that's cool. So I introduced you to your favorite movie. There you go. But this movie's so, so good. It's wonderfully funny. You get drawn into the role. You you start to wonder as you're thinking, you know, is he actually guilty? Is he innocent? And when you find out he's actually innocent, it also it it pulls you in these great directions. When they when they do that reveal, sorry, spoiler alert. When um, what's his name throws the rock through the poster? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. That's such a clever moment, and it's it's a really good flashback. It really is kind of the movie. I feel like all these classic films. I want people to go back and study them just for how to make a movie. How to handle pacing. It's just, it's perfect. I don't, I don't have a single flaw in this film. And I, I quote this movie all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so quotable. I mean, it has probably maybe my favorite last line in a film ever, which is just, I hope. Mm-hmm. You know, but that scene you're talking about, it, I, I always say, I always use that phrase, fuzzy britches. Fuzzy britches. Yeah. I like the phrase when britches? he wins the cigarettes and he's like, line them up all pretty in a row. Mm-hmm. I, like, I yeah. love that. That's the one I use. Who have I missed? Kevin? Same old shit, yeah. different day. Yeah. Um, I own this movie. I, I love this movie. I wanted to watch it again before the podcast. Uh, I didn't, but I've seen it, like Patrick said, so many times. As you guys are picking off different scenes, I can easily jump to another scene that's just as good. It's it's so enjoyable on so many different levels. It is uplifting. No, it's, it's easily an A. It's a great movie. This was... Probably in my top five that I would have chosen for tonight's podcast yeah. uh, without too much trouble. It, it's a phenomenal movie. Um, it was interesting. I was reading through some of the other things. And, and even though the story was written where Red uh, was a white Irishman, yeah. you know, he, mm-hmm. the director's like, no, I just, I, I, this is something that Morgan Freeman is just perfect for. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe it's because I'm Irish. Exactly. Yeah. That, and. <laughs> When you watch the movie, that's a that's a perfect little quirk one-liner. Yeah. But when you know the story behind it, it's even better. Yeah. All right. Is that is that six A's? I believe six so. A's. Yep. All right. Gold star. Gold star. It'll be interesting to see what movies don't get a gold star. I know. This is number five global on the flick chart. Great Escape, I think, was one thirty-five. Yeah. And I think five out of the six films we're doing are in the top two fifty on flick chart. So. Five of the six films we're doing are in the top 250 on IMDb, that's for sure. Yeah. Sorry, Nate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to add Shawshank to Flickchart. First ball up. Final cut starring Robin Williams. Shawshank. Shawshank. Yeah, Shawshank. Shawshank or the Vivitch? Shawshank. 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 We're going to all sound really silly. Shawshank. I think The Witch might be a perfect film, but Shawshank. All right, guys, here it is. Shawshank or The Great Escape. Shawshank. That quick? This is pretty easy. Yeah, Shawshank. Yeah, Shawshank. It's it's my top 10 versus my top 50 right now. All right, Kevin. I'm, I'm doing one of those. If I could only watch one of those and never see the other movie ever again. Ooh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. Kevin has a rough life. <laughs> That's like picking between your kids. If I can only keep one, like you can still watch the other one. It's just you know, but you're you're making it really hard on yourself. So close. Depends I, on I the day. It'd be an easy yeah. choice, but it'd be different depending on the day. <laughs> yeah. 
every day. Kevin, it's okay to vote your favorite. <laughs> I, yeah. It's part of the problem I'm It's having. flick chart. You can use whatever criteria you want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I change my criteria pretty much every single ranking. Well, we know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, your, that's one of your things. Yeah. You know, that's like me falling asleep. That's, that's one shtick. of your things. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do I lose anyway if I pick Great Escape? I think yeah. I did. Yeah, yes. All right. Then I'm going to pick Great Escape. You I can apologize. take them all. Though. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry about that. that is moral vote. Moral vote. <laughs> Unlike Steve. I feel <laughs> bad picking against it. Shawshank or Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Shawshank. 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 Shawshank or Harry Potter Part 7, Part 1? Ooh. My gosh. Shawshank. Do you know where we are on the list? Yes, I do. That's, I still say that's top, top 10. That's top For a while, Harry five. Potter Part 1 was our top, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's because of the weird way we started this flick chart, but... Get busy voting. I'd vote Shawshank. Get busy dying. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's four now. I think I saw Did you go Shawshank, Tom? Yes. And then Kevin. I haven't voted. Well, Shawshank either wins unanimously or wins by a score okay, of five to one. So. Shawshank Redemption or 127 hours? Oof. Shawshank. Shawshank. That's that high. This one makes me pause. No, Shawshank. It's not that good. Oh, 127 pause, hours? No. Yeah, it is. No, one of my criteria really is bad. a movie that I've seen many times versus one I've seen once. Okay. If, if I see a movie over and over and it holds up. And that's I've I've seen 127 okay. hours several times. Maybe I'm almost up to 10. I'm almost at double digits on it. I wow. sh I show it to people. I I make them watch it. I think it's such a fascinating look at our individualistic culture and sometimes what we have what has to happen to us to wake us up. And make mm -hmm. us realize that we need people. Um, and there's some personal stuff. And I was, it was, it felt a lot like watching up in the air and 127 hours were hitting me at just like the right time in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but I think yeah. 127 hours is brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's artsy. It's, it's just genius performance. It's so well directed. So everyone but Nate has gone Shawshank to this point. I haven't correct? seen 127, but I, I heard I'm, that. I'm guessing. I'm going to go 127. Okay. Yeah. Lastly, the Shawshank mm -hmm. Redemption or Twelve Angry Men. Damn. The original. Yeah. I haven't Ooh. seen it. I'd still go Shawshank. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say Shawshank. I love Twelve Angry Men. It's one of my favorite. Who movies. doesn't? But... Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go okay. Shawshank over Twelve Angry Men. Is that a new number one? Um, who else is picked? I haven't seen Twelve Angry Men. You've never yeah, seen Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Angry Men. I've never. You're a seen... dad. I've never seen Twelve Angry Men. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. These movies are literally one space apart in my top ten. Choose, Tom. I get busy choosing or get busy dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I'm gonna go twelve angry men. So let's see, me and Nate Patrick have gone Shawshank. Mm -hmm. Steve. I did. I went Shawshank. Oh. Okay. Well four to one. So yes, new number one on our flip chart. Wow. Wow, not, nothing that we talked about even came close for me. Even twelve angry mm -hmm. men. Now there are movies on our list that I would have paused. Right. But that pushes my actual favorite movie of all time, Twelve Years a Slave, to number six on our flick chart. That's your favorite movie of all time? Would make all time. Pause. Wow. I love it. I can actually probably watch that any day. It's a great yeah. movie. Yeah, it's it's in my top at least my top twenty, maybe my top ten, Twelve Years a Slave is too. Yeah. So yeah, if we're gonna move on to Tom's movie, yes? Yes. 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 City Lights. Moving on to City Lights. We don't, we don't have to talk, though. Let's just pantomime the whole thing. <laughs> we'll do a silent podcast. Yeah, audio silent podcast. Review. A silent podcast. Silent audio podcast. If we were still doing video, we totally could have done this. Yeah, it would have been the coolest true. podcast oh. ever. We could have pantomimed it. 
put up a little, you know, a little sign. Your titles. Awesome. You know exactly. Yeah, titles, but you not know anymore. exactly when the people had stopped watching the podcast. So, <laughs> what we have to read now? Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Afternoon. Late evening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next day. Right. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to my favorite film of all time. This is Charlie Chaplin's City Lights from 1931. It uh, was a silent film, although Chaplin did play around with sound effects. He made his film, well, it came out about three years into the talkie era. So it was a gamble on Chaplin's part, but it paid off. It became popular with at the box office and with critics. I believe I... Uh, introduced this movie to steve and nate back around when we started the podcast yeah we watched this and stagecoach and bring it up baby yep mm-hmm. 1930s night yeah those movies um, are okay <laughs> yeah so i guess i will just start things off let's start with uh nate for listeners tom sounds nervous because he's worried that one of us doesn't like this movie and he's not I, sure I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little nervous i'm don't worry tom i got your back i like black and white movies that don't have any talking in them <laughs> it's fine. Um, it's movies in color with no talking in them too. That's true. Yeah. I also like. Why do you need talking in movies? I don't understand. Well, you can yeah. have staring, meaningful oh, staring. Yes, meaningful staring. I want to see eyes dilate. That's important. <laughs> um, I like silent movies. I, I really don't get me wrong. There, there are some crappy silent movies. I've even seen, seen bad Hitchcock silent films. Mm. Chaplin is an absolute genius. One of the fathers of filmmaking. The stuff that he does, the way that he's telling his story, this character of the tramp, which he kind of, in, in, in a lot of ways, invents. People are still repeating this kind of schlub-like tramp sort of character. This guy who's down his luck still gets the girl. Um, that's all Not from always. Chaplin. Um, his, his previous and, and film, also, The Circus, had a much less happy ending for him. But the thing is, he's always he's he's down in his luck. He doesn't have anything to give, but he's always giving. And I mean, and it's the same. I'm I'm mostly thinking of this and the kid. Mm-hmm. But it's such a um. City Lights is different because it pushes a little bit beyond just the the slapstick. Like you said, historically, the fact that it is a gamble. Like when we first watched this, I didn't realize that this was done, you know, a few years after the talkies, which at that time, um, everybody's switching to doing films that have sound. Yeah, right? and Chaplin, like Chaplin didn't know how. To, yeah, Chaplin yeah. didn't know how to translate the Tramp character into a talkie. Right. I don't think he really translates well into a talkie, the tramp character. He's such a he's such a pantomime character. And and the beauty in this film is how well he can act that out. He can still be do these physical moments, but there's so much passion and sympathy in him when he's walking around with his drunk friend, um, when he's mistakenly boxing, when he's with the blind girl, which is such a lovely, sweet story without the need for any kind of dialogue. You can it's just acting. It's got this great ending that final ending with just man and woman looking at each other and exchanging a flower and a glance this this is the kind of film i would sit down to show people who want to know what a good silent film is like um so i'm i'm giving this an a okay steve uh, i well i'm glad i rewatched this because the first time i saw it i was like okay it's good you know it, it has that i don't know if this is chaplin movies or this or silent movies in general or because um, I haven't seen enough silent movies, um, it it feels very um, vignette style. Almost That's feels true. like there's this little 
scene and then the next scene may have the same character but it's not really related and so on and so forth this particular movie actually has something running through it the entire mm-hmm. time where you have this driving force behind everything and it still has that style of these little slapstick scenes that are funny like the boxing scene or the drunk scene where they're getting drunk together and you know it has at the club of, yeah but there's this love story that's behind it and it's actually a beautiful love story uh you know these two people that really have nothing uh and mm-hmm. this guy who's who has nothing who's trying to figure out a way to help the girl he loves and the tragic when i i see the tragic ending uh, well not the final scene but the tragic ending of him having to make this choice of i can restore her sight but once she sees she's not going to want me so right how much does he really love her do you love her enough to lose her and that is actually that theme is actually beautiful in this movie and so uh i and i don't think i really caught on to that the first time i saw it i think it was just more of a well, there's this boxing scene, it's kind of funny, and then there's this next scene that's kind of funny. And yeah, it's, as far as comedy, it's brilliant, but beyond that, I, I caught that this time, the sort of tragedy of his life, this character's life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I enjoyed it a lot more, and actually enjoyed the comedy a lot too. Just not even the fight scene, but before the fight scene, when they're in the room, and he just is terrified of what's yeah. going to happen, and he's, yeah, it's great. So, hey. Okay. Who else had seen this before? It has been us, probably, yeah. Crickets. Um, all right. Brian, let's go to you. Well, I'm, Steve <clears throat> was bringing up the love story, and you think about... You know, it started off with him as, you know, how do I help this woman? And then you, you realize that he's just a good person overall anyways. Right. Um, due to the fact that that one man was going out to... Was it the aqueduct or something to kill himself? Mm-hmm. In the, it, like in the very beginning of the movie, and that's how they became friends when he was drunk. Right. The uh, the alcoholic millionaire who only recognizes him as his friend when he's drunk. <laughs> drunk recollection or whatever it is. I'm not sure. No, this this movie is wonderful. Um, I, I I couldn't even fathom making that decision at the end of the movie that he had to make of do I give her this money to help her see to help her you know also pay for her rent. Otherwise, she's getting evicted. And right. holy shit, I wish I had $22 in rent at this point in my life. That would be wonderful. Um, <laughs> you know, this this movie was was wonderful. And they did not really put in a lot of those little text panels mm-hmm. throughout the majority of it that can, you kind of think about a silent movie, and that's what you think of. You think of someone standing there and they're talking and then a big old screen of text comes out and you watch the whole thing. And this is done majority through pantomime. And maybe it's my little familiarity with the silent movie genre, but that is, you know, that's my take on it. So, but no, I I, I would definitely give us an A. Okay. Kevin. Tom anxiously awaits his sucker punch. And I'm getting more and more worried. (laughs) Steven pointed out something that... Makes me feel better about giving this movie a B. I, yeah, sorry. I was trying, and I'm like, I, if I gave it an A, at this point it wouldn't be genuine. If I watched it again, that might change. Um, I had seen the, the boxing scene before, but only as an excerpt from the whole movie. I didn't realize what it was a bigger part of. So I mm-hmm. really enjoyed that scene, and I was watching it actually with Bella and my two kids, 
and we're watching it this morning like, oh, you're watching us for the podcast. They, that was their initial reaction. But then they watched the whole movie. They were completely engaged for the whole movie, which for mm. a silent film mm. to do for 9 to 12-year-olds is amazing. It really is, especially in this day and age, to keep their attention that long. Um, Steve, you pointed out it, Chaplin's acting was great. It really yeah. was in order to convey the emotion. But it still felt like, to me, five or six vignettes mm -hmm. uh, that had a somewhat overlying storyline. And I, I know what that overlying storyline was, but it still seemed like a lot of vignettes. I enjoyed it. I honestly, I have to say I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. At this point, uh, I, I've been on the podcast, I think, for about five and a half years. So I, I've seen my fair share of silent movies or black and white movies. So that in itself didn't bother me. But I, I at this point, I think I can only give it a B. And that's how I felt the first time I saw it. That it, I was, yeah. It's good, but it's just a bunch of little vignettes put together. Right. And watching it the second time changed that. Yeah. Mm. Patrick. <laughs> I almost picked that as my favorite movie. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't. Wait, mm -hmm. what? Uh, we'll talk. Okay. Um, <laughs> Eternal, Sunshine Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. Uh, okay. I don't think I've seen a silent movie before. <laughs> I, I think this was my first oh, really? silent movie. I'm pre I'm, I know this is my first Chaplin movie. Eternal um, Sunshine. I know we've talked about how, and like Kevin said, about how you, when, sometimes if you see a movie with someone, it can change how it is. And I remember thinking... Miles would love this from the slapstick standpoint. Like, I feel like had I watched it with my kids, I probably would have enjoyed it more. I didn't particularly care for the movie. Um, <gasps> I, I know, I know. Dun, I, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I, since joining, we found him, Tom. We found him. <laughs> since joining this podcast, believe me, I, I have, you know, I've, you guys have exposed me to a lot more and I really appreciate it. Like, I, the Korean movies. But I'm done. I, I'm out. <laughs> no. <laughs> But I've reached my limit. <laughs> Seriously, guys, it doesn't even talk, and there's no color. Why? I don't understand. I don't read. No, I think it was. I can appreciate how well he could emote and how he well he could portray what he needed to portray without words and without sound. And the ending was beautiful. I mean, the end, like you said, that that look was amazing, just between the two of them at the end. But for a good chunk of the movie. I just couldn't, I, I'm not a huge slapstick fan, and so much of it, I couldn't get past that. It just seemed like it was, like you said, it's a series of vignettes. There was a running thing, but really it was, seemed like a, a series of slapstick yeah. vignettes yeah. that just, about 20 minutes in, I was like, nah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of lost. I was kind of, I didn't feel like I wasn't getting into it. I wasn't getting drawn in. I was just kind of watching slapstick that I didn't really enjoy that much. So I I am definitely going to give this movie another chance at some point. Yeah. But right now it's a C for me. I'm sorry. A C for Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, it, I don't want to give it a good grade just because everybody I, else thinks it's brilliant. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting just reading all the other great filmmakers who think this is one of the best films ever made. You know, it's on Kubrick's top ten. It's on Tarkovsky's top ten. Isn't it on Woody Allen's? Woody Allen, uh, I mean, it's, Cha it's Chaplin's favorite film that he ever made. Right. And I mean, it's, it's surprising actually to know that this was Chap ba basically Chaplin's last real success, like in his lifetime as a filmmaker, you know, yeah. like yeah. immediate success. I mean, yeah, now we look back and, and, you know, modern, modern times, times great, great dictator. Yeah. yeah. These movies flopped. They, they weren't received well. 
and it's just crazy to think about that. Um, it's it's nice to know that this was well received in its time and has appreciated even better, you know, over time. I I said that uh, the final sentence of Shawshank was my favorite final line in a, in a film. This actually, and it's funny, you know, coming from a silent film, but this is my favorite exchange of dialogue in the history of film is those last two lines where she's had, she's just realized who this tramp is. And he says, you can see now. And she says, yes, I can see now. And that, yes, Mm -hmm. I can see now holds so much to it, you know? Yeah. And it just, it's his face and, and it's just pure joy. Just knowing that he's helped her and then it just fades out. You don't need anything more than that. Like I would give this movie an A just on that scene alone, but this is the, I think the fourth time I've watched this all the way through. Um, I was laughing out loud through most of it still, which is encouraging to me. It's, you know, it's like this movie really does hold up for me. Um, so obviously I'm giving it an A. So what is that? Four A's, a B and a C. Four A's, a B and a C. Yeah, Patrick. How could yeah, you Kevin. Stop trying to cover yourself, <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that Kevin said that gave me the confidence. That just saved me so much. I didn't, I don't feel so bad about giving it a B at this point. It's a it's a B plus. Yeah, this is totally a B plus movie. Yeah. <laughs> now I've uh, I read, and I wish I could find it again. Some critic had called that final scene the single most transcend, the single most transcendental scene in the history of cinema. Mm. And I just I totally agree with it. I I also think I mean part of this is it's um it being because it, uh, silent films are just so foreign to us. It's something that it's just so hard. I remember when like the artist came out, right? They had to have signs at all the movie theaters saying it is a silent film. Yeah. Right. That that means there's yeah. no sound. People still came out of it like mad. Like what? In the world? Yeah, we've just been so removed from that style of theater. And the other thing, I mean, some of the critiques you guys threw out the fact that it's it's a vignette. If you go and watch some of his other films or some of Buster Keaton's or yeah. some of them, and you you can see the vignette style, and it's a lot it's a lot weaker than well, this one than City Lights. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. This this is. You know, late 20s, early 30s, this is, we're coming out of vaudeville, right? Right. Coming out of vaudeville, cinema's coming into its own. Like the late 20s is really when cinema started coming into its own as an art form, Mm -hmm. you know, as a long form, you know, full length films. Um, Right. It's interesting because the comedy stylings, you got Chaplin and Keaton and the Marx Brothers and Harold Mm -hmm. Lloyd. And, you know, these guys are all coming out of this vaudevillian style. So, yes, watching the transition of that into um, long form narrative is is interesting. And the fact that Chapman, you know, Chapman was the last silent filmmaker, basically, you know, we're three years into talkies are popular and he's he makes a a successful silent film, Mm -hmm. you know, and then he does he makes another one with modern times, you know. So, okay, so we are adding city lights to our flip chart. What the no joke when I looked at this last time. City Lights global ranking was 15, and now it's 14. Wow. That's our impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We moved the needle by one. Exactly. <laughs> we haven't added it yet. Global climate change, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right, so this is my number one on my flip chart. I, it, it's basically going to win against anything that we've done for me, but let's see how it does. City Lights against my last pick, Three Kings. City Lights. City Lights. City Lights. Three Kings. City Lights. City Lights. Patrick? Oh, Three Kings. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be wrong. You don't a even lot get the moral vote. Segment. <laughs> yeah. City Lights versus Captain America the Winter Soldier. Captain America. Captain America. City Lights. City Lights. Well, this is the <laughs> this is the 
City Lights is the far more important, probably better movie, but I have to go with my heart. Captain America has my heart. I thought you were Team Iron Man, Steve. Well, Iron Man was right, but Captain America, I'd rather (laughs) hang out with Captain America. Mm -hmm. Iron Man has his brain, Captain America has his heart. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That is true. I'd much rather hang out with, you know, with... uh, Steve Rogers than uh, Tony Stark. I'm gonna go he Captain break America. Laws, but he would have fun. Captain America: The Winter Soldier wins four to two. Oh. Charlie Chaplin <laughs> or Captain America? Okay, and I don't mean this, in, and honestly, in any disrespectful way, but purely as a similar appearance, it would be interesting to see Robert Downey Jr. Wait a minute, didn't he do Chaplin? Yeah, he, he did Chaplin. Chaplin. Yes. Okay, uh, he did I do Chaplin. Seen that. Was it any good? I don't know. It's I'm good. actually thinking I want to rewatch it because I remember I watched it and I didn't like it. I didn't like Robert Downey Jr. at the time. I've never seen it. I really want to, but you can see you can see a little bit of Chaplin in some of Robert yeah. Downey Jr.'s oh, later yeah. performances, like in Zodiac or even in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yep. Definitely Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Okay. City Lights versus Nausicaa: The Valley of the Wind. City Lights. City Lights. City Lights. Nausicaa is very good, and we think I'm gonna we, go we don't Nausicaa. talk about it enough, but it's it's excellent. I think Nausicaa is at like twenty something on my chart. I'm going City Lights. Yeah, I'm going Nausicaa. Yeah. City Lights wins. City Lights versus Hustle and Flow. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. Did I pick this movie or did Brian pick? Brian, did you pick this or did I? I think you picked it to go with Straight, Straight Outta Compton. Compton. That's right. Okay. Yeah. City Lights. Yeah, City Lights. I'd go City Lights. I'd probably go Hustle and Flow. It's got the better soundtrack. <laughs> Chaplin did the uh, soundtrack for City Lights. I know. Lights, I did actually. see that. Yeah. I saw that in the credits. Mm-hmm. He composed it. All right, City Lights wins. City Lights or Hell or High Water? Oh, Hell or High, Hell or high Water. City Lights. Hell or High Water. Yeah. Far for Hell or High Water. Yeah. Okay. I put City Lights at 140. It's a couple spots above Keanu, so I guess those are equal comedies. <laughs> oh. Uh, he sounds so bitter. <laughs> Tom is literally going to cry himself to sleep tonight. <laughs> Welcome to Buried Cinema, where we discuss new and lesser-known films in detail. I'm Nate. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) This is my normal voice, Tom. Your name is Tom. Yeah. (laughs) This is a continuation of the last podcast. I'm Tom. Oh, is it just, we're not like, so whatever. Okay. Um, One giant podcast. So that's how I I should pitch it? All right. So, um... Well, you can just use that if you want to, Tom. So then let's let's restart this. Here we go, guys. We're going to talk about a history of violence. All right. So continuing with our single podcast episode of our favorite <laughs> movies, we've now come to the midpoint of our podcast, I would suppose. Maybe you would call it the highlight, if you would like. Um, a bunch of jokes that nobody's going to get. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to talk about a history of violence which is my favorite movie. This is the David Cronenberg thriller. This is his first collaboration with Viggo Mortensen that came out in 2005. Um, it's, the story is deceptively simple. It's one that you've seen several times. A kind of simple, local, small-town guy saves the people in his diner and kills two thugs who try to attack him and his family. This gets him local attention and the mob comes and tries to pull him back into a history that he thought he had gotten away from. There's some, you know, spoiler alert, he was involved with the mob. Half of the movie is kind of you trying to figure out if he actually was. Um, I have a complicated history with this 
film. Sometimes I don't tell people it's my favorite movie because I don't want to freak them out, but I am now publicly acknowledging this. This is my favorite movie. And when I'm normally talking with like my grandma or something, I say like, it's a beautiful mind. That's that's my favorite movie because I feel like that's a little safer. But this is my favorite movie. We can get into why, but I'm curious what you guys thought. Who had um who had not seen this? I think I'd seen part of it. Like it's it started off familiar, but by the end I I didn't remember it. So okay. Yeah, I hadn't seen this at all. All right, then I then, then I will start with Kevin. I will start with Kevin because you're coming completely fresh. You have not seen this. Um, right. I know I've talked extensively with Stephen and Tom and others and Brian about this, so I'm I'm curious. Okay, uh, so Kevin. I, yeah, I, I will tell you my thoughts as long as you said you're going to tell me why this is your favorite. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I will. Okay. I will. Yeah. Because um, that was most interesting. <laughs> Sadly, that was the most interesting part of watching this movie. Is why is this Nate's favorite? Why is this Nate? <laughs> I don't even know. This is Nate's favorite. And and that's not to take away from the movie itself. It was an enjoyable experience. It, it it's like you said. It was a simple storyline. Almost all the characters were really good actors uh, in this. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed that. I like I'm assuming the director intended really didn't know for most of the film until it got really close to him uh, giving it away, you know, that he was Joey. Uh, you know, I believe that he wasn't. It was just mistaken identity. There's some crazy, you know, Cyclops from Philly. So I just, that was a nice twist. Um, but I don't know. It, it seemed kind of simple, kind of familiar, I guess. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's deceptively familiar, but it, it definitely is familiar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it, it's a type of movie you've seen a hundred times before. Yeah, which but, is part of the reason I, I like it. Yeah, done in a way you've never seen before. See, that's yeah. Maybe yeah. I missed something. Yeah, you gotta pay attention to the way he shoots the violence. There's no violent moment in this movie where there isn't horror displayed. Like he, it's never glorified. It's never awesome. It's always horrific, okay. and he it's shot in a way to make it make you see that the violence is horrific and destroys and you know is there's nothing good that comes from it. it's how he it's incredibly quick yeah. yeah it's right. very yeah. fast it's brutal there's the even the shot in the diner that first um not not it's not the first scene of violence the first scene of violence is in the hotel yeah but that scene in the diner when he kills the two thugs who are just two thugs right yeah and after he bashes the one guy's skull and there's a barely it's maybe two three seconds of him just licking the tile through like his cheek and it's just it's this horrifying yeah, moment yeah that's just there that just sticks with you and it there's this moment where you actually feel bad for these murderers right you know because you're like oh gosh that happened to him that's part of the reason why this is my favorite movie is i i tend to get drawn to movies that um have a lasting emotional kind of impact on me and i think do something new and this is the this is the movie that kind of for me changes the way i've looked at just violence in film They're, the fights yeah. in this movie don't feel choreographed they feel right. almost improvised where and it's not drawn out it's boom 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 done right right even the finale the big finale he quickly dispatches the guards opens the door see him there's no like conversation there's no like long he doesn't let him monologue scene. yeah it's yeah. just boom done yeah he doesn't let you enjoy the violence. It happens so fast you can't really you're not enjoying the sort of the fight scene, the the gunfight. Right. You're it's these mm-hmm. brutal attacks that are happening really quickly and just trying to it's almost like the movie itself is trying to get them over with. 
So I'm um, give Patrick, this, this is. No. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to give. No, this no, a, that's I understand that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we're, I just the only other thing I wanted to mention, knowing the director, knowing the title, you're like, okay, you, you can expect some very uncommon point of view. And the movie starts out with those two mass murderers, like you were saying, Nate. They're, you know, they're going through the motel, and you're going, oh my god, these guys are 100% psychotic. Mm -hmm. And that was fine in and of itself but when Vigo Mortensen turned around and killed these two guys like you said extremely quick I'm going where the hell is this movie going now yeah uh, it just yeah. completely right. changed the the storyline for me which that was interesting that was cool you don't see that too often yeah because those was guys enjoyable a normal movie would now those guys would go on a killing rampage in the town exactly. right and he'd have yeah. to take them out yeah yeah well, um, that's fully what I was expecting or that he was like yeah. part of their gang or something beforehand or something. Right. Yeah. 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 He he would kill one of them, but not the other, and one gets away. And yeah. um, but that's that's not in the least bit what this movie is interested in doing. It's interested in exposing these characters, exposing Ooh. what violence actually does to a human being, to a family. And I I think that's fascinating. I still love highly choreographed action films, but this movie allows me to kind of step back and realize that I I have to look at them separately. You know, this is. A film for me that takes violence and makes it completely awful and doesn't hide that fact but it also know? acknowledges that violence is part of human nature and that's actually what i like yeah about the movie. that it's the, it's the teenage boy his son and things like yeah, yeah. that scene where he's mm -hmm. like violence doesn't solve anything and the kid i can't remember what he says and then he smacks him yeah like yeah yeah it doesn't solve but you're right. re like you can't help but resort to this yeah oh yeah it's and then yeah. that's part of it it's story-wise it seems simple but Character-wise, it's so complex. Yeah. Um, Patrick, I'm give I give it a solid B. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I don't know. There were I I got hung up, I guess, on some of like what I thought were plot points. As far as like for a while, yeah, I couldn't believe I, I was like, like, well, it can't be him because you know, it just didn't even make sense. Like he would have had to be 20 or something when he left, and yet he was like right. one of the most feared violent people. Which doesn't seem like you'd get that by the time you're 20. You know, I don't. Uh, I know this is. I know this, I'm. I was getting nitpicky on some of those things. The other thing I remember is the family kind of like right from the get-go annoyed. I, which I think that's what he was doing was trying to portray the family as an ideal family, which annoyed yeah. me because I didn't like the. It was such a Norman Rockwell like the the very first scene when the girls having the nightmare and then what he comes in first and then the brother comes in and. And the mother comes in and I'm like, no, like, no, that, that would never happen. You would just be like, damn it. Why are you, you, you know, you, you just get frustrated. Like th this is not how yeah. real families are. And, and I think by the end of the movie, I, I was thinking that he was doing that to try to contrast like the extreme violence in this man's life versus the idyllic family that he thinks he has. Um, yeah. I also think that's a movie family. You know what I mean? That's a small town He's he's making critique on film itself and how we portray these things oh, as wow. well, uh, right? You know, I guess th yeah, I, that is what guess happens I didn't see in it the that small deep. town like, families. I think I realize why you like this movie. Why? There, there's a, a little tidbit here about Ed Harris doing a whole bar scene pantsless. Oh yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. No, no, it's the um I say, every scene in this movie like makes you think. It should it drags you through it. Um I love movies that challenge me in, in intellectually and I can't every time I rewatched this, I notice something new. I'm fascinated by it. Now, and the I don't know what you'd call it, the marital rape scene was a little much yeah, um, on the one on the stairs. Yeah, on the stairs. I don't know. Like I there, there were parts of this 
where I had a little bit of trouble watching it. And maybe it was. Yeah. It was just so. It's, yeah. it's a troubling sex scene, but it's not a rape. I mean, yeah. I, I would it say starts it's not... off that way, though. I mean, it turns. I, I, by the end, it's not. But it. No, even at the uh, beginning, she she kisses uh, him. He's grabbing her, trying to get her to come back, but she kisses him first. And it, yeah, but... I think he's 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 not intending it to be necessarily sexual. He's yeah. he's well, he wanted. It's, he, it's he also he wanted to yeah. show her enjoying herself. That that was a specific thing he wanted to be very clear to the viewer. Yeah. And when I think about the three sexual scenes with Maria Bello, right? And it, it, again, it shows her, three. she becomes this very, yeah, three sexual scenes. Um, What's the third So one? there's the, the fir- just the moment with her full front, front frontal nudity. I would yeah. include that as, as a separate scene. I have so, an anecdote yeah. about the first time I saw that scene. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I saw this in the theater when it first came out. And uh, <laughs> sitting in front of me was uh, like a couple of teenage boys. And um, that scene happened where she it's it's a quick scene. She comes out, mm-hmm. she, you see her bush and she walks away. And uh, one of the kids in front like made a deal about it, and the other kid was like, oh, I missed it. And <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's the whole reason he paid money. Yeah. Yeah. Rewind it. Rewind it. Scream up. Can you rewind that? <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're talking about the sex scenes. Um, that's actually the part of the movie that I find the most interesting. The stairs one? The two, both. The okay. contrasting of those two sex scenes. Because yeah, the first sex the one scene the beginning. is kind of a nice, sweet, but out of the two sex scenes, it's technically like the kinkier one, right? Because she's doing role play, then they go into like a 69, and it's the more dirty of the two sex scenes. But if you think of the two sex scenes, which one is the dirtier one? It's the right. one on the stairs. And that's actually just missionary position, right? And what is it that you have this like nice sort of normal married couple sex scene of them just kind of having fun. And then you introduce violence into that. And all of a sudden it becomes more passionate. It becomes like there's something about human nature that violence excites. And it, mm-hmm. even though the sex is actually much more bland, it's the more exciting of the two scenes. I find that really fascinating. It's also yes. more disturbing. We're we're disturbed oh, yeah. by it. We're disturbed that she would want that in that moment, and she's disturbed by that aspect inside herself, right? Yeah. But I mean, that's what's saying. Um, There's something about human nature that conflates the two: violence and sex. It's also impressive. It's also impressive how I know it's weird with Cronenberg, but how he. Um, I think one of the reasons he's a great director, both of horror and thrillers, is where he shows restraint. Yeah, right? we talked about that with video drone a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and and it's. He goes right. He knows perfectly right up to that line, like just how far he can go. Even in that first scene with the hotel, he knows he can show the blood, but he chooses not to show the little girl being killed. Yeah. Right. Um. And with with that first sex scene you you discuss, right? He he knows exactly how to focus on Maria Bello's face and her mm-hmm. expression, and allowing the actress to express herself and her ecstasy, but nothing more graphic. And when he does show you something. There's a purpose to it. When he does show her bush, when he does show the full frontal, there's there's a reason. And the same thing with that that sex scene on the stairs is not visually incredibly revealing. We just see Vigo Mortensen's ass and women cheer and clap. But other than that, it's restrained from a nudity standpoint. Yeah. And he, he knows that he can do so much more with sound. He knows he can do so much more with allowing the scene to play out. It's just, it's a brilliant piece of directing. It's, it's a short, quick movie, hour and a half, but it, it's one of these things that it's always stuck with me and it keeps just haunting me. Cronenberg has always 
explored the connection between sex and violence. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I think this is his, he does it the best here. Yeah, this is definitely the most mature take on it, and you know that's not to you know minimize horror as a genre, but the, uh, this is definitely the most maturely that he's explored that theme. Yeah. So what would you grade it, uh, Steve? Oh, A. Easily. Okay. Tom? Yeah, this was the third time I'd seen this. I, like I said, I saw the theater. And uh, yeah, I was, I was looking forward to watching it again. Um, you're talking about, how, you know, the violence not being choreographed and all that. There is a part of me that still enjoys those scenes, just watching Viggo Mortensen take out bad guys. Oh, yeah. I, and I kind of, but then he does. He shows you the, you know, the guy's destroyed face on the floor. And it's like, you know, oh, that's not fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where he uh, pummels in Ed Harris's face and then he's covered in blood. And yeah. Well, while you're like, yeah, you got him. But then you turn and see what's happened to his teenage son. And you realize, oh, gosh, this family. Yeah, now, now his son has to live with the fact that he's sh- shot a man. Right. With a shotgun. Yeah. That's going to stay with him forever. And a lot of movies try to gain that heft. They try to gain that impact. And it seems unearned, right? The innocent character takes a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. It's it's slight, but it feels cliched here. And especially with, with how he ends the movie, right? With just them at the dinner table saying nothing. You have no idea what's going to happen to this family because violence yeah. ultimately doesn't really solve anything. It creates more problems in its wake, but we don't know how to, what's going to happen in the aftermath they could work their problems out or they might not you know this might be the end of the family or maybe they hold together you don't know with violence and i think it's i think it's the lady in the tiger scenario it's you know it right can be really whatever you want it to be from that point in your mind mm. like you know i guess however your sensibilities lean is how you're going to interpret where it goes from there mm-hmm. like i I've, I've we've talked about this you know a little bit in the past not on the podcast but i've always heard you nate talking about how that family's kind of destroyed at that point. I, I had always seen it as kind of a hopeful scene. And I think it has a lot to do with, has a lot to do with the daughter's behavior in that scene. You know, she gets up and she makes him a plate of food and it kind mm-hmm. of, it softens things a little bit for the other two. And to me, it's like, yeah, this is going to be rough going, but I feel like there's a sense of hope yeah, at this I point. Agree. Yeah, it could be there. Yeah. I, I like your comparison to lady and the tiger. Yeah. You, you get the feeling that nothing's ever going to be the same, but there, like you said, there's hope there. I mean, they serve him food. They basically welcomed him back into the family. Right. Um, Brian, you've been uh, quiet, reticent. What are your thoughts on a history of violence? I definitely liked it more this time than I did the first time I watched it, but I'm still not going to say that it's an A movie for me. I'm, I'm going to go B as well. To me, it's relatively straightforward. I don't, I don't really have much to say about this movie that hasn't already been said. I just don't feel like, to me, that this movie you know, stands out above other movies like it. It doesn't grab me for the whole movie, and it's nothing I haven't really seen before, I suppose. Um, any other thoughts on the history of violence here? Uh, well, I give it an A. Uh... Okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, then with three A's and three B's, a history of violence gets a B plus. So the oh. same grade as, as City Lights. So that's okay. So Tom and me are not with uh, gold stars, but that's all right. I feel like we didn't pick ringers, but whatever. Not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Brian just picked the greatest movie of all time. Yeah. But 
if you recall our conversation, Nate, I was given zero information about that. <laughs> All right, so we're going to now add a history of violence to our flick chart. All right, first up with flick chart, our new litmus, a history of violence or three kings. Three kings. Oh, damn it. History of violence. History of violence. Yeah, it's a history of violence. I'll say three kings. Uh, shh. I thought that was a car going by. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we three and two right now? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'll three for history of violence, two for three Yeah. Kings. If this was my chart, I would go three kings. I think just because three kings holds a little more personal significance for me. Right. Uh, I'll go history of violence, right? These are super close for me. Um, a history of violence or the Vavitch? The Vavitch. history of violence. Again. History of violence. I'd go a history of violence. I heard Patrick go the witch. Yeah. yeah but I haven't heard witch. Kevin. I'm going the witch. So it's down to you again, Tom. <laughs> Better full full frontal nudity scene. Old lady Maria Bello. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> put it that way. Well, I would say when you phrase it like that, you're kind of, it's a, it's a leading, Not, you're leading the witness. <laughs> these are both, both movies that know like when to show the violence for horrific effect and when to re- be restrained about it. So is it three and two again? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go history of violence. <laughs> I, I have seen history of violence. Just heard. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, here you go, Tom. A history of violence or Citizen Kane. <laughs> Seriously? Citizen Kane. I'm dead serious. <laughs> Citizen Kane. I haven't seen it. I go history of violence. I would go a history of violence as well. <laughs> oh, I'm going Citizen Kane. Oh. <gasps> Tom, they came through for you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <Okay. laughs> we're in the, uh, we're in the, we're the top half of the podcast. You're going to have a hard time of me picking something or yeah. picking history of violence over something. And it, it's it's tough because it's one of those things where it's like it's my favorite movie. So it's like, well, of course, you know where Nate's going. What's what's crazy is so far every matchup on on this flick chart session they've all been movies from my own top 250 so let's see if that continues a history of violence or snowpiercer nope history of violence (laughs) history of violence i didn't see it snow violence is that what i heard i just heard snow violence Tom said history of violence kevin and i said snowpiercer i believe i i would say a history of violence a history of violence or the movie that does not deserve to be this high uh x-men days of future past Days of Future Past. <laughs> X-Men. History of Violence. Mm. History of Violence. Yeah, yeah, Days of Future Past. What? Uh-oh. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm not budgeting no. this. Sorry. For that? For that movie? What's so great yeah. about that movie? What's so great about your movie, Nate? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my movie has full nudity. Does that one? No. Come on, I'm appealing to your inner teenager. Uh, a History of Violence has better action scenes. Mm. Yeah. It's not just Michael Fassbender going, like, holding his hand out and hoping that the special effects will work. Special but effects they do. That's, <laughs> that's most of that movie. So, yeah. it's so boring. Besides oh, no. the quicksilver, besides the quicksilver scene, that movie's pointless, and they can just keep resetting it whenever they want. It doesn't matter when anybody dies. No, it's so stupid. Wow. Yes, it, yes, it is true. No, everybody dies, and they just go magic. We're good. Yay! <laughs> All right, if we're if we're st- are we stuck? No budgers. I'm not budging. Oh, I'm not both. No, I'm not. No. No. History no. of Violence over X-Men. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that puts a History of Violence at 102 on our flick chart. It is above uh, The Raid mm-hmm. and Mud. Nope. It is beneath 
The Quiet Man, cool. and Les Miserables. I don't agree with any of those. <laughs> <laughs> As we said, Flickshot is a perfect system. There's no problems with it. Um, <laughs> coming up next, we're going to talk about Fight Club. No, we're not. First rule, no, Fight Club. First rule. Oh, right. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry. We're not going to talk about Fight Club. All right, that's the only time that joke can be used. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for my pick, um, I went with 1999's Fight Club. David Fincher directed, um, starring Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, um, Helena Bonham Carter. Most people have probably said this was hardly the definition of a buried movie, but since we weren't doing buried, um, um, I had a hard time choosing favorite. Oh, yeah, yes, Meatloaf, Jerry Leto. Um, I mean, pretty much everybody knows it's a story about a, um, let's say, a guy trying to find his way in the world is a nice way to kind of put it steve i'm gonna start with you so actually this movie has dropped a little bit watch re-watching it recently it's dropped a little bit only because i i noticed something that i've never noticed before and the violence towards the end gets uh gratuitous it gets or almost malicious um i think the scene where he takes the guy the um, shop owner or whatever out back and makes him get on the ground and puts the gun to his head yeah. and has yeah. that big sequence of that big explanation of, uh, you know, the, tomorrow will be the greatest days of his life. He'll, you know, the birds will sing louder, colors will be brighter, all that stuff. Right. That scene didn't play as well for me as it had in the past. Past, I've, I've been like, oh, yeah, I, okay, I understand what he's doing, but it just felt I don't know, malicious. I, I, or, he could wake up tomorrow and have nightmares for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah he could spend the rest of his life in a mental hospital. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there are and stuff. I, so I I like this movie. I, I love this. Movie. But rewatching it this time, there were things where I felt like it was not in service to the story. It was more just to let's have a sort of over the top violent scene or threatening scene. Yeah. So it kind of dropped it a little bit for me. But at the same time, Edward Norton is amazing. This is Brad Pitt when he's Brad Pitt should be a character actor. Yes. Yeah. Why he's not a leading man. He's a brilliant character actor. He's, he's always at his best when he's just a little bit off. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. So this is when he's just fantastic. Um, it's funny. The themes in this movie still ring tr- very, very true more so today the sort of falseness of everything around you and yeah. it's it's interesting um but uh, like i said there's just there's certain things even the the living conditions in the house i, I had a hard time it felt a little disingenuous it felt like they're trying to make it seem as disgusting as possible not necessarily for the story but just to make it just to make you feel a little bit of revulsion and so that kind of detracted i don't know if it attracted enough to bring it down to a B for me, I think it's still an A movie, but it's not a an obvious A that it used to. Nate, what do you think? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I I really like this one. I think I also think Brad Pitt is also kind of at his best when he's working with David Fincher. Um, yeah. they kind of bounce back and and forth. It's it's a fascinating film. Um, I didn't rewatch it for the pod podcast, and so I get it kind of because I I'd, I'd watched it recently over the summer about a month and a half ago um 
which is almost for the podcast. So sure, I I, I watched it. Um, <laughs> but I, I I always get the the novel and the film like kind of mixed up. But it's also such a faithful adaptation that um it's not too bothersome. That that's why I rewatched it. I want to compare it to the novel again. Um, and this is kind of the first time that we really see Chuck Palahniuk. I think this is the first adaptation of his work. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's it also is his first novel, and it's it's frightening. It's brilliant. And it's a crazy story, right? Everybody remembers that twist. Yeah. But again, every time you rewatch it, there's some other moment where you're like, I should have caught it. Mm, I should have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so incredibly evident all the way through. And it's well, the kind fact of, that Tyler Durden starts appearing long before he actually appears. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I only caught right. it this time rewatching it. Oh, really? I hadn't noticed that before. And, I st- mm-hmm. and I'm like, wait a minute, did I just see something? And I stopped it, yeah. and rewound it, and went frame by frame. And I'm going, holy shit, it's a penis. You know, it's yeah. a penis. <laughs> But then like halfway through, mm-hmm. you know, he talks about, I like to, you know, that they tell that he does that as he's running the film thing. So then you're kind of right. like, oh, you just write it off as, oh, okay, they've, they've been doing this. I've seen him. It's a, tr-, you know, right? they're justified like that. Yeah, the first time I didn't put it together as. Yeah, but it's, it's brilliant. Helena Bonham Carter's performance is also excellent in this, which is is hard in such a male-dominated cast, I think, for her to still hold her own. I can't imagine anybody else also in that role. It's just, it's it's a fascinating movie, looking at, again, in a lot of ways, um, in a very different way from A History of Violence, but what, I think this movie kind of examines why men turn to violence, what happens to them, you know, how our society is turning them, to violence, how commercialism kind of forces people to feel something, to force themselves into something, but also to hide it, which is the whole, you can't talk about Fight Club, right? You can't talk about what you actually feel, what is actually inside you, what is actually going on, you know? Um, and even that phrase has become part of the zeitgeist, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. crazy for film. People use it you all the You mentioned Fight Club and people, yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't talk about Fight Club, yeah. Right. Or, or, or they make up something else. Yeah. Exactly. The, you know, you'll be talking about something and they'll go, oh, you know, we, we don't talk about Thursday afternoon. And everybody yeah. knows right. what you're talking about. We don't yeah. talk yeah. about game night. Yeah. You yeah. know, something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a reference to this movie. And I think that's that's impressive. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. just something else. Yeah. So I, I, I love it. I'd give it an A. OK. Um, Kevin. I'm sorry, Stephen. Did you give an actual grade? Yeah, I give it a minute. You did? Okay. I wasn't sure. I kind of cut you off there. Sorry. Uh, I own this movie. I love it. I'm giving it an A. Um, I like to rewatch it to pick up on some of the subtleties because I think there's a lot there. It's been probably a good five years since I've watched it. Uh, Since that time, though, Jared Leto has become extremely popular, right? Mainstream (laughs) actor, you know, A actor. Uh, And when I rewatched it for the podcast, I was going, holy shit, he's in this. Um, and it was kind of nice to see a, a pretty boy get his face beat in. Yeah. They actually, they actually put <laughs> which is, his name in the opening credits. I know, which was strange, because when I first saw this, I'm probably going, oh, I don't know who the hell this Jared Leto is or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jared you know, Leto. I, this this is a great movie. I grew up with Meatloaf, so to, to see him was hilarious <laughs> with his man tits. I mean, it was just so funny to, to watch that. And I liked the, the balance of, of dark comedy with the horror, with the violence. Uh, I, I thought they did a great job. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian? I didn't enjoy this as much as I did the first time I watched it. The dialogue in this movie, I was very distracted by it. You know, the first time you watch it, you don't catch 
like all the dialogue clues. And this is the only second time I've watched it, so maybe that's why it's like kind of went down in my opinion. But you know, you only catch so many of the dialogue clues when you're watching it the first time. So are you saying as the, much. the twist, knowing the twist kind of No knowing the twist it? ruined the second view. Yeah. Okay. Huh. I don't know. I don't know if I'll say it enhances a, a second viewing, but it definitely makes it a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different experience, and I didn't like it as much. <laughs> to me, the, the the themes in the movie are strong enough to where it doesn't that the twist is interesting on the first viewing, but the movie doesn't rely on it. It's yeah. no, it doesn't. More. But I feel like at the same time, I feel like they just shovel clues onto you. Yeah. While you're watching it, and. Like once you know the twist and you're getting all of this stuff piled on top of you, it 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 detracts to me. Okay. Um. Did you have a grade? I'll give it a B. It's not, it didn't detract to the point where like I wanted to just like turn it off and it just it just wasn't as good to me. All right. Tom. Yeah, I'm in the same camp as Steve. Pretty much. Uh, when I first saw this, I was in college. I don't know. I probably saw it a year or so after it actually came out. And it was it was just a revolutionary film. And to me, a lot of it was revolutionary ideas, you know, about society and stuff like that. I I think I must have watched this at least another time since then. I thought I'd only seen it once, but I remembered pretty much all the beats of the film all the way through. But like Steve, a lot of a lot of things didn't play as well this time. There's a lot of there's a few lines in the movie that just seem, I don't know, too clever for their own good yeah. or yeah. some moments that just seemed like look at how clever we're being kind of thing and it it's it's too much of that and not enough of actually being clever but again it's not enough to bring it down from an a for me i'm going to give it an a still but there's definitely just a few moments here and there that don't ring true it's like i mean it's, it's a very dense movie so there, there's there's still just tons and tons of stuff to pick up on Oh yeah, in in subsequent viewings, which is good. And again, it does not rely on the twist, in my opinion. It you know, yeah, yeah. Is I have a question: Is this movie misogynistic? Because I mean, there is a sense of it. It almost it's not quite this, but it's bordering on the you know old guy sitting in his chair. I remember when men were men, and you know what I mean. Yeah. It has well, yeah. I I don't know if it's. I'd almost say it's the opposite to some degree is that it's almost as a criticism of we're men trying to be this i i don't know not an ideal but trying to be something that they're not and feeling frustrated by but there is that line where he says we're a generation of men raised by women right yeah and that's taking our masculinity so i don't know that line always bugged me yeah i mean there but there is a certain sense of you know that if women are involved it somehow like takes away from your masculinity not that they're involved but that men are not involved oh, in raising yeah. their sons, which I, I mean, I, I've long thought that to be an issue myself. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that line. Yeah. 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 Cause to me, I thought that was more a critique of you're right. The, the men weren't raising them. So they didn't understand that, you know, being a man isn't necessarily being macho and tough and what you see on TV, it's being responsible, you know, it, it, that they didn't, that they felt lost, you know, I feel like this movie constantly is, it's it's constantly the pendulum's constantly swinging back and forth, yeah. idealistically, you know. Yeah. Because you're getting close, to, you, you get into this other this this idea of you know like we've lost something of our hunter gatherer nature. Yeah. You know, 
and you're like, yeah, and then it gets further to the extreme. You're like, wait a second, no, yeah. and then it starts turning yeah. back the other way to to it's, like you know. It's a good Norton's. thing that you know Igor doesn't hit me on the head with a rock and take my stuff. Like that's right, like, and you swing back yeah. over to like that's Edward Norton's like rational mind, and you're like, yeah. yeah, let's think about this, and then you're like, wait a second, you know, something's missing from my life because I'm you know I'm overthinking everything. It's just that constant thing. Yeah, and I think that's what makes the movie. I think that's the most interesting thing about the movie. Yeah, and I think to some degree it wasn't necessarily the. I mean, the the Fight Club th- that was kind of the what he's using to more kind of play on the that we're uh, you have a whole bunch of pe- people necessarily feeling lost in society, feeling like it's it's not necessarily that the battle between hunter gatherer or or hunter versus gatherer, but like consumerism versus. A, a strong sense of self-identity where you're letting other people dictate to you who you are, you know? Well, it's, and I men, think- it's men who are strangely out of touch with their feelings, trying to feel something. Yeah. And but in the most, but in the most but, basic way possible. Right. And so the idea that if you could feel anything, if you could just right. get back to those base feelings that you could find yourself again. And also giving themselves purpose. I think of the first scene when Tyler Durden really interacts with kind of himself and pours the lie on his hand, right? And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's all about him. Doesn't he tell him, like, you, you, you have to understand you're, you're, you're going to die or, or something to that effect? Yeah, yeah. Feel it. yeah. 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 and don't try to escape from it. Yeah. And then that starts to build up to this thing of, like, okay, now that this is the case, you can start to give your life purpose. You know, it is about men trying to retake this life where they've become just these automatons yeah you know um yeah because he's he's trying to keep it from going to his ice cave right which in in one context the ice cave could be healthy and in another context you are just not allowing yourself to feel the pain or pleasure of what's in front of you yeah yeah Mm -hmm. okay so i I give this movie an a obviously i picked it um yeah i was probably 25 when i saw this um i mean it just struck a chord with me and it stuck with me I still like think through as as we buy things. I think the consumerism aspect also struck a huge chord with me as far as we, uh, and that's who we are nowadays. Is, you know, we buy things to try to define us and we try to, we identify ourselves by what we own. So yeah, I, I, th- I think it was very interesting to me to see that still, this is almost 20 years later, the th- that to me, the societal themes still resonate every yeah. bit as strongly today as they did when this came out. Let's see, with five a's and a b uh, can someone i don't have a it gets a website an a out. an a which is right. according to our website grading system a my little pony ah yeah. that is rainbow dash patrick rainbow really, dash really an odd pick with fight club <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> i don't understand why all right yeah no you're right you're right she is the, the most fight club of the ponies i think and don't um, they, they have a fight club on My Little Pony, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, Rainbow Dash is the leader. They don't talk about it. Yeah, they don't, yeah, it's it's very hush-hush. It's really just Fluttershy's alternate personality. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I think well, all yeah. the other ponies on My Little oh, Ponies are just the Tyler Durden the Rainbow Dash. realize how much of a brony Patrick is. No, I'm not a brony. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I just, I appreciate the show, that's all. So our first matchup on Flickchart is one of the few other silent films we've done. Uh, Fight Club or Metropolis. Metropolis. Wait, what's Metropolis again? It's the um, science fiction. Uh, 1927 uh, German yeah. silent. Oh, okay, I didn't see that one. Okay, I was thinking of something I would else. go Metropolis as well. Yeah, Fight Club. 
Um, so right right now I've got two votes Metropolis, two votes Fight Club. And I haven't seen Metropolis. So. Oh, so it's down to me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Metropolis. Ooh. Ooh. Despite ah. your better grade, <laughs> Fight Club might ruin our flick chart. Wow. Wow. Well, when Metropolis is right in the middle, that kind of... Yeah. Yeah. So now Fight, Fight Club is going to be the litmus. That's right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Fight Club or the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Fight Club. Fight, Fight Club. Club. Fight Club. I didn't see the Beast. I will take the moral vote. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you know the moral vote's wrong, Tom. I will take the moral vote. <laughs> <laughs> Holding tight onto your Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, because it doesn't deserve to be that low. It is Fight Club. Um, <laughs> Fight Club. Or Ink. Fight, Fight Club. Club. I haven't seen it. I'd go Fight Club. I will take the moral vote. It's <laughs> giving you lots of opportunity. <laughs> Tom is the moral center to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he did pick, I feel like, the sweetest favorite movie. Like, the rest of us were all... Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the rest of them were pretty messed up. Like I said, <laughs> Prison Rape is the... Least of the problems. Yeah. <laughs> we have an issue as a podcast. That will be the title. When Prison Rape is the least of your problems. <laughs> Our favorite films. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next matchup, Fight Club or The Final Cut? Fight Club. Fight Club is dead center. Awesome. Fight Club. Oh, it's not Dead Center yet, guys. Fight Club or Three Kings? Three Kings. Fight Club. Fight Club. Fight Club. Fight Club. No, no, we did Metropolis. Dead Center. We can't even agree on whether or not it's the center. It's not Dead Center, but it is. No. Yeah. We're not letting it go anywhere. So, Fight Club. So basically, two of the best movies of 1999 <laughs> are right next to each other in the dead was, center of our list. It was kind of a middling year. Um, that puts Fight Club about dead center. It is above The Dark Knight Rises and The Green Hornet. It is below X-Men First Class and the movie where we lick people's armpits, Thirst. Next up, Chinatown. So my favorite movie for this month, um, I'm kind of like Nate. I have two that I kind of go back and forth. No, Nate has a favorite movie, and then he just feels bad about it. <laughs> he has a favorite movie and a beer. Well, yeah. I mean, beer. <laughs> uh, Chinatown, I think, is, in my opinion, one of the best movies I've ever seen. And also there's things about it that I, I really like as well as far as the writing and things. But it's directed by... Roman Polanski came out in 1974. Uh, Roman Polanski is just sort of a boring director. No real news about him. Um, and stars Jack Nicholson as Jake Giddies, Faye Dunaway, John Huston, and the rest. Roman Polanski's yeah. in it for can, a few minutes. Can you even name the actor that says the most famous line from this movie? No. No, the, the yeah, the last line. I thought that was really interesting. It's like the most immortal line from this movie is uttered by an actor that nobody knows. And a character that has little to do with anything. What's the line? Forget it, Jake. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah. So I have I have reasons for 
liking this movie as much as I do, but we'll get into that later. I'm going to see. Who should I start with? I'll start with Tom. Tom, how do you feel about Chinatown? First, uh, have you seen it? You've seen it before, right? I saw it. I think I was a teenager when I saw it. Oh, okay. And I didn't get it. I didn't even remember this being about anything about uh, water rights. Yeah, basically, we always forget what he's actually investigating. Basically, yeah. what I remember, I remembered, I remembered him getting his nose, his nose sliced. Uh, I remembered she's my sister, she's my daughter, and then I remembered the end scene pretty clearly. I mean, those those three things stuck in my mind. I just don't understand why I should care about the. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean it like that. But why I should care about the. Like I find, I find the idea because this is based on real things that went down in California back in the what nineteen twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The water rights issue was. I mean, basically, there are people making a lot of money off of it. Right. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's water. It's like one of the most basic human necessities, and you know, greedy people are gonna try and capitalize on it. And I mean, John Houston's character is he, he's a villain through and through. I guess I just don't really understand why it turns into the story that it does. What do you mean? You know, being about this woman, Faye Dunaway's character. And I don't know. I really, I I think Jack Nicholson is great in this movie. Um, I think if Jack Nicholson wasn't great in this movie, it wouldn't be a memorable film. So I I just don't really, I don't really understand. I kind of want to, Steve, I kind of want to hear you talk about it before I give my grade. Okay. Because right now I'm at a B. Before I'd seen this, it hadn't really stuck with me because, like I said, I was—I think I was too young when I saw it. I'm really glad I rewatched it. I've been meaning to for a long time, and I think there's a lot about it that makes it memorable. I just don't understand why I should give anything more than a B. Um, I feel like I'm—I I guess I feel like I'm missing something. Maybe there's a couple different reasons. Um, part of it is just the performances, and not just Jack Nicholson. I think Faye Dunaway's performance is actually pretty pre- impressive, and so is John Huston. He oozes evil, and he never really says or it's just the way he presents himself he does something about immediately you know this guy is evil but he never really does or says anything evil right um until you find out what he did but even then it just seems kind of he just seems creepy but there's something about him to me that he just seems like the devil himself Mm -hmm. um and so part of it is the performances but the script for this i think is one of the most or maybe the most brilliant script for any film. You know, it's called Chinatown, but we don't, the only time we ever get to Chinatown is at the very end. Right. And re, on watching this again, Chinatown's mentioned here and there, and you know something bad happened in Chinatown, something that Jake didn't have any control over. And in trying to stop this bad thing from happening, he cre- he made it happen. So mm-hmm. his intent, he intended to try to save somebody and he ended up getting them killed or assuming it was someone he loved or something. It's kind of unclear. And throughout this entire movie, this idea keeps coming up over and over and over again of people trying to do something good and it like horrible things happening anyway. And Chinatown becomes a symbol of that thing that no matter how hard, no matter how good your intentions are, bad things happen for no reason and there's nothing you can do that's why that line is so iconic right forget it jake it's tiny chinatown it's basically saying shit happens and there's nothing you can do to stop it 
And everything's leading towards this, pushing towards that moment at the end in Chinatown where the horrific thing, not just her death, but then him getting the granddaughter and you can't, there's nobody really to blame for that ending. There's nobody to point the finger at and say, it was your fault. You made this happen. I kind of That's, felt like the guy who the shot guy shooting the gun. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah kind of. I, mean, uh, it, I feel like I can blame John Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> Why did he shoot her? Well, he wasn't trying to shoot her. Right? Uh, yeah, he wasn't trying I think to shoot her. He was trying her. to like hit, stop the car. Yeah, he's trying like, to stop the, the car. tires or shoot something. Tires out. Unfortunately, good shot. He's just yeah, really lousy. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that, but I'd like to hear what everybody else thinks about this though. There's a lot of other things in this too that I think are theme of doubles everywhere is interesting and plays into this idea of you're constantly showing two different versions of things. The watches is the best example. Right. He puts a watch on both sides and it's just which watch gets broken is complete chance. Right. So they're the same thing, but one makes it through and one doesn't. And why? There's no reason for it. So this is essentially a precursor to the movie Rubber because there's a tire and there's no reason. (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) Um, You're you're saying that there are similar reflections uh, later on in the movie? Yeah, there's doubles everywhere. Okay. Sorry, um, I give this movie an A. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, like he's, I think, like Tom said, is a lot of it's due to Nicholson's performance. I mean, that really does carry this movie through. But I, I'm okay with that. Um, I actually really enjoyed the historical aspect of it too. Just yeah, I, don't know, I, I found the whole water wars backdrop was fascinating in and of itself. Um, yeah. Much less when you then put a, a noir um, crime story on top of that i thought was great i thought they did a good job i kept thinking oh okay you know they found the watch or was it the no it was the bifocals in the pool okay she did it then oh wait no it turns out it was him like they kept you i never felt like man and i had this thing figured out you know so as far for just from a crime you know crime drama film noir they kept you going right till the end i thought of you know i never imagined it was her daughter's her sister, her daughter, daughter. her sister, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those things that, like, it, there, you could never have seen it coming. So, as far as keeping you guessing and keeping you in suspense and keeping the audience in the dark successfully, I thought that that was they did great. Uh, Brian, Jack Nicholson seems like the world's worst detective to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I know who did it. Shit, I don't know who did it. Yeah, I know who did it. <laughs> Shit, I don't know who did it. Like <laughs> it was if you accuse everyone eventually you're right. <laughs> yeah. I know who did it. It was all of you. Maybe. Um yeah, I, I think my biggest issue with this movie is how you feel at the end of it. Oh, yeah. Like, it's bleak. Oh, you know all that terrible stuff that happened and uh well it's just going to keep on happening. And yeah. now Faye Dunaway's sister daughter is going to probably have to live that exact same life that she lived, you know, now going back with John Houston. Yeah. This is definitely the bleakest film of the six. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's where eternal sunshine is a little more hopeful. And sometimes that depends on what mood I'm in. You know, it's, it's a well-made movie for sure, but you know, it just makes you feel like absolute crap when you get out of it. (laughs) I'm trying to not let that sway me, but I can't. The movie leads to that ending moment. And 
and I, I actually disagree. I think he's actually a pretty clever detective. He just, what ends up happening is so beyond his comprehension that he can't get there. So he keeps grasping at things. And he does some clever stuff throughout the movie. That's one of the things, when I first saw it, I noticed is, you know, like kicking the taillight out to follow the car and, right. and the watches thing. I think a lot of that's from Raymond Chandler. I don't know how much of that is uh, Polanski or Town. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that's a follow the movie. I think that's part of what draws me to it is I kind of feel like watching Chinatown. I feel like Chinatown is the last great true film noir. And in a lot of ways, it's saying goodbye to this genre, to this detective genre. You, you don't make movies like this anymore. You, you get revisions of it. You get modernizations of it. You get kiss, kiss, bang, bang, right? Which I love. But this this genre is, for better or worse, dead. And this was kind of its swan song. And I think it's brilliant that he pulls in John Huston, who's the director of where I think it kind of starts, at least from if you got bookends here, with who directs the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. And here he is playing a sort of, um, you know, the, the fat man. He's playing the Casper Gutman of the group, right. right? Just a villain, a bad guy who is out for himself. And it's as much about that genre, which are these characters running around trying to find semblance, trying to find meaning. Right, but we even think about the end of the Maltese Falcon, and it has the other same famous line. Yeah, it's the stuff that dreams are made of. It's pointless. It's almost like a Thomas Pynchon novel where you're you're trying to find meaning in something that there isn't meaning. Yeah, and that's the whole point of the movie is he's he's trying to establish all this. He's trying to find the criminal, and he's running into the fact that everybody is a criminal. So who's he supposed to arrest? Everybody's culpable mm-hmm. in some way. Then he finally does go to Chinatown. So it is it's it's a great script. It's I think really important for film history. I'm I'm curious Tom, I mean we bring it up anytime we talk Roman Polanski. Does the fact that he made it make you pause? No. No. Okay. I, I know I'm like the one in the group who's constantly like harping on film history. This has two things going against it right off the bat. One is I I've I've never really been able to get into film noir. And another thing is I really a lot of the time have a hard time with get into movies from this time period, the mid seventies, like new Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of the films are very bleak and uh, I, I don't know. I just, I have a real hard time getting into them a lot of the time. There's a weird to me. And one of the things I like, there's a weird optimism to the bleakness and it's in that final line. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. It's there's, there's nothing you can do about it, right? It's not your fault. Basically it's out of your hand. If you could stop it, you would have. But you can't. So you have to let that go. It's a subtle hope, but it is there to me. Kevin. Did I say B? Because I should have. Let me stick it in there. I'm between a B and a C. Uh, I haven't seen much of Jack's early stuff. So this was very enjoyable. And like you guys said, he did a a great job. Uh, Brian, I kind of had the same point of view that you did. He's just a stumbling P.I., Making clever moves, but kind of taking a stab and, you know, throwing a dart. And if it sticks, see what happens. I don't, I don't need a movie to make me feel depressed. I can do that all my own. Uh, so the fact that this movie does that, um, doesn't make me want to see it again or, or think about it. I hadn't, I didn't realize this is where that scene came from where she's going, no, it's my sister. No, it's my daughter. Cause I, I've heard spoofs on that for different reasons, you know, for years, decades. And I'm going, oh, that's what it's from. I, funny enough, that's this podcast is, has, between this and uh, City Lights, mm-hmm. two classic scenes. I'm like, oh, that's where it came from. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> at least I have that. 
You're welcome. <laughs> I have a hard time giving this a B. I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot of the greatness that you guys are trying to point out. I mean, I think it's too well made to give anything less than a B. I, I just am having a hard time connecting with it. Like, and and I, I don't know, understanding. Yeah, it might be a great movie, but like this movie is is basically always talked about as one of the greatest films of all time. One of the greatest scripts of all time. Yeah, I'm going with a C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jerry Goldsmith wrote some very good music for this movie. It's felt like saying that apropos of nothing. <laughs> Can we just take a moment and remember that John Houston had an intense action scene in The Visitor where he walked downstairs for five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, The Visitor. Yeah. That's a crazy movie we don't talk enough about. <laughs> I think we talk enough about it. <laughs> okay, well, I give it an A. Kevin gives it a C. Patrick gives it a B. No, I gave it an A. I really oh, no, you gave it, oh, I give it an A. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, I liked it. Ryan gave it a B. Right? I, I marked him down for a B. Whatever. Hey, I want my A where I can get it. Uh, <laughs> Brian gave it a B. And yep. Nate yeah. gave it an A. So yeah. Tom. Yeah, I'm I'm stuck on a B. Here. I am I'm giving it a B. You should know better. You should if convince I, him better. If I was going <laughs> off of my memory of like the my previous viewing, it probably would have been a C. I mean this definitely came up in my estimation. I just there's still just something I don't get. And plus California water rights. It's more fascinating than that. <laughs> Yeah, I spent like hours on Wikipedia. Well, well that's the thing. It is more fascinating than than I really the. Did. I, I know. I read about it, and it, it is a to me. It is more fascinating than yeah. what the story becomes. And that's my whole thing. It's like, what? Wait, wait. Wasn't this about the water wars? And now it's about like this sister daughter situation. Like, <laughs> so with three A's, two B's, and a C, Chinatown gets a B plus or a little Mario mushroom. You're down here in the depths with me. <laughs> B plus so you take uh, two of the most renowned films of in film history, and they're less than everything else. That's how buried cinema feels about them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think sometimes you you have to stop and sit back and take an honest look. And one of the things I like about this is that we're we're not afraid to stop and say, "Oh yeah, look, Chinatown's considered an amazing movie." But I don't see why, you know, and, and for a lot of average viewers, for a lot of people, the first time you sit down and watch a movie, and I mean, and that's the way I feel about Citizen Kane often is that sometimes we just accept it as amazing because people say that it is, but I may never outside of its impact and influence. My mic got <laughs> mad at me, whatever. I was saying something smart. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you we were saying something wrong. The microphone knew it. We can't just yeah. accept classics. Because people say they're classics, right? They have to actually right. speak to you. And what may be classic 10 years ago is not classic now. Yeah, like Transformers. No. Oh. Or 2001. Oh. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Why you got to go there? He was talking about the one with Shia LaBeouf. Oh, okay. All right. Totally yeah, that, agree. That would have been 10. So we're not going to add Chinatown to our buried cinema flick chart. Chinatown, our first matchup. Chinatown Fight or Club. three. <laughs> or... or Three Kings. Three Kings. Chinatown. 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 Currently three to one. Three to one. Three to one. It's actually three to two because I'm going three Kings. I want to go Chinatown. 
Does that mean Fight Club is the only one that technically went to the bottom half? Yeah. I was going to take Shawshank. No. <laughs> yeah, and then... I swear... If you'd taken Shawshank, Brian yeah. would have chosen Kung Pao into the fist. And, and I would have been, been a much different podcast. I know. No, actually, you know, you know what's interesting is things might have gone differently depending on what order we did these movies. Yeah. As far as yeah. Oh, wow. Chinatown or Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Oh, Winter Captain Soldier. America. Chinatown. I would go Chinatown. Yeah, I'll say Chinatown. I'm going The Winter Soldier over Steve's pick, just like he did for mine. <laughs> Has nothing to do with quality. It's just getting back at you. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody willing to budge on this? Otherwise, our middle is Metropolis, Chinatown, Three Kings, and Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a problem that can't be fixed. This is the Oscar podcast all over again. <laughs> yeah. I'll budge. I'll go to Civil War. It was Winter um, Soldier, by the way, not Civil War. But yeah. Oh, well, oh. But still, it's the better oh. movie of the two. Yeah. Oh, oh, are you going back? Are you going back? No, no. I'll keep it. He holds steady. He holds steady. Um, Chinatown or Shutter Island? Chinatown. Chinatown. I just watched Shutter Island. Speaking of film noir Chinatown. ripoff or different take. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a different take on film noir. You don't. Name another classic film noir after Chinatown. They're I mean, all that, That's not like riffing on the film noir. See, I really liked L.A. Confidential. Yeah, I was going to say I, L.A. Confidential. Was, that, was, that was almost one of my picks. Especially um, with the way that it has, first off, like two detectives, essentially, that it's all about corruption within police. It's it's not a private detective story. Uh, yeah. yeah, but you're right. It's not a true. Uh, Sean Penn. Private. He was the bad guy. Gangster Squad? No. Gangster Squad? Yeah, that's not film noir. No? It's no. It's modern <laughs> film noir, but it's it's not that classic. Yeah, like, pure it's like a yeah. twist on you know. the car. So basically, if your gangster jaded, movie features a bullet then... time scene, it's not film noir. <laughs> <laughs> what were the choices again? Uh, oh, Shutter Island. I'm going Shutter Island. That's three for Chinatown. Chinatown. Chinatown wins. Chinatown or The Babadook. Chinatown. Yeah, Chinatown. I will say, if I, I really want to see The Babadook again and watch it yeah. a few times, because I think it could become it's brilliant. a gay and yeah, lesbian a icon like it has. <laughs> What? Has it really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How? Why? I just, don't know. They don't either. Just Google it. <laughs> okay. Have they seen the movie? Like it really shouldn't. Yes, they have. No, that's okay. No, well, nobody I mean, has any good reason. They just decided. They, they just a good chose. Movie, so you know, hey. Uh, but it's also a movie that's like about PTSD and. No, it's about coming out of the closet. No. Well, I mean, I guess the Babadook comes out of the closet. Comes out of the basement. Oh, that's right. So that's even that's weird. <laughs> um, I, I am voting the Babadook over Chinatown. I'm gonna go Chinatown. Babadook wins. Um, Chinatown versus Nausicaa. No, Chinatown wins. Oh, oh, Chinatown won. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Chinatown wins. My bad. I just said it wrong. I I did it right though. I'm looking at it right now on the list. It's above Babadook. Chinatown versus Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Nausicaa. Chinatown. Nausicaa. Nausicaa. Chinatown. Nasca wins. And that puts Chinatown at number 157 on our flick chart. It is above King Kong and the Box Trolls. Oh, I could just envision the pain on Steve's face. 
It was above the box trolls, right? right? Box I mean, that's, trolls? Yeah. It was above I the like box trolls. Yeah. It's above it, but it's close enough that you can see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's in the same category, same ballpark of quality of film. <laughs> it's below Joseph Gordon Levitt's masturbation movie, uh, Don John, <laughs> and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh my God. I love that. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I don't deliberately go through and look for movies to annoy the chooser, but that's okay. Um, We're going to come back and tell you what we're talking about next month. Welcome back. Uh, So now we're going to talk to you about what we're going to watch and discuss next month. And with my pick, uh, it's been a while since I've had the leading pick. There's a movie I've been trying to get on the podcast for some time. Once I found it, it's a 1979 movie called The Scavenger Hunt. Uh, and looking at this, I was trying to find a theme to, to roll off of so we can, you know, have some fun with this because the, the cast of this movie is amazing. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but the, the theme for this month is movies that came out when you were six. So for me, that's 1979. Uh, and uh, I had the pick. Tom, you have the pairing. Nate, do you have the wild card or does Steve? I got the wild card. All right, then Steve and then followed up by Nate. But just, just to give you a, a taste. So 1979, Scavenger Hunt has Scatman Carruthers, Cloris Leachman, Roddy McDowell, uh, Vincent Price, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, the, the list goes on. Just amazing <laughs> actors all the way through. So uh, And Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I... I remember watching this film, and it's it's no simpler than it's about a scavenger hunt. And it, I just remember really enjoying this as a little kid. Uh, it's probably going to crash and burn, and I'm okay with that because I've had a few others uh, that got stomped out repeatedly um, <laughs> by a bunch of <laughs> apparently sensitive people on the podcast. No, uh, you sound so demoralized. <laughs> like it's like I know what happens now. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, hey, after come last month, I'll I'll, uh, I'll come off my A. <clears throat> Tom, what did you pick for next month? Well, Cloris Leachman gives me a little bit of hope anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Meatloaf is in this movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Meatloaf. Bring him back again for another month. How? Two months in a row. That's right. <laughs> it's Meatloaf year. <laughs> I'm going to throw it in. If I get is this like our JGL of- year? Yeah. Yeah. What other meatloaf movies can we do? We've already done Rocky Horror. I know. Spice World. He's got a cameo in Spice World. (laughs) He's in Wayne's World. How do you know that off the top of your head? (laughs) How did you not have to IMDb that? I'm having. This is crazy. It's a bust. Ah, All right. Sorry. We hijacked your bit, Tom. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. He'll give any time over for meatloaf. I, I turned six in January of 1988. So. I'm looking through 1988, and uh, it's a little movie called Hell Comes to Frogtown. Oh, <laughs> too bad we already did that. Yeah, it is too bad. Well, instead of that, I'll go with another Hell Comes to Frogtown 2. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take that. Now, this is a, it's, it's a horror remake that uh, I think is kind of underrated, possibly underseen. I'm not sure who on the podcast might have seen it, but it is The Blob. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, directed by Chuck Russell. I- I'm a fan of the old one from 1958 with Steve McQueen. Uh, I love that movie. This one, I think, is a really good like 1980s version of that. The special effects are really good, and it's just a disgusting, horrifying... It's actually a pretty thrilling movie, though. 
I think so. It's got Kevin Dillon because Matt is, wasn't available. <laughs> Kevin Dillon and that chick from Becker. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody seen it? I, no. I have. No. Okay. I think I don't think I've seen it since it came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know I've seen the. Well, I definitely didn't see it when I was six. Yeah, I wasn't watching the Blob. I was uh, ten. I don't know if I've seen this. I picked an '80s movie Kevin hasn't seen. Yes. <laughs> no, no, he has. He he. Once he yeah. watches it, he'll be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Just... yeah okay, Stephen, how about you? What do you pick next? Uh, well, you said you went with lighthearted and kind of fun and yeah, you know, simple. So obviously, I went to Jim Jarmusch. Uh, to find a movie, and uh, so far the Jim Jarmusch movies have gone over well, and I've liked everything we've watched. Um, I still want to get Broken Flowers on the podcast, but that's the one we're going to hate, probably. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm picking Stranger Than Paradise. Came out in 1984, and I don't really know much. This is one of his early, earlier movies about a hipster. So we all love to watch just a hipster whine about their life. So, a 1980s movie about a hipster. Yeah. I've yet to see a Jim Jarmusch movie I haven't liked, so we'll see how it goes. And I have yet to see one and I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, All right, Nate, bring it home. So I had the wild card pairing, which means I don't have to follow Kevin's silly rules. Um, but oddly enough, I kind of did, um, because I also chose a movie that came out when Kevin was six. So. <laughs> okay. I like that twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and looking at um, that's what you meant, right? That's, yes. You said choose a movie with when, when I was six. I was six. Right. right, that's what I heard. Um, so we're all choosing movies from 1979, give or take. Um, Stranger Stranger Than Paradise is kind of more. It's um, I feel like I'm twisting it, twisting a bit, but whatever. It's kind of a road trip movie, as I understand. <laughs> reading through it, they're going from okay. place to place. So I chose a semi road trip movie. I chose. Straight the, down. In, no. Straight. Hey, hey. <laughs> Jim Jarmusch was in it. Um, I chose The In-Laws from 1979, starring Peter Falk and Alan Arkin, which is about a couple of in-laws that accidentally get involved in a coup in Central America instead of going to their daughter's wedding. Oh, that's going to be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've I've kind of wanted to see this movie for a, a little while, and I think it'll be kind of funny. Yeah, very cool. Peter Falk and Alan Arkin that gives me hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sounds so so negative about this this next month. No, Even you're on the blog, you were like, I guess I chose it. You know, whatever. It'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, so join us next month when we get our six on. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, you think that catchphrase? WTF, but with weird stuff about toes. <laughs> <laughs>